Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Episode four of the Premier Non-League podcast starts right now. An action-packed one this week. We hope you will enjoy. This is the Premier Non-League podcast. Yes, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Premier Non-League podcast. Joining myself, James, tonight, we've got Pete. Hey there, Pete, how you doing? I'm very well, James. Good to hear. Johnny, how are you, mate? All good, eh? And uh, the number one COVID fighter, Sash Tester in the world, Ian, is back, uh, is back as well. How are you doing, mate? How's, how's it been this week for you? I mean, you're making it sound like I'm good at my job and that I should do anything. Oh, I mean, of course you are. Of course you are. I, I, sp- I spent an hour and a half watching the Brighton game, so <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully none of your bosses are hearing that right now, but I mean, I guess you, if you had and it cost you anything, you'd be a bit of a waste of uh, time watching that tonight by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what an investment that was in, in time and money. How much do you pay for it? <laughs> I, I did actually pay the full fifteen, but I also donated fifteen to the to the um, the Brighton charity as well. Oh, fair play, so it cost you thirty um, quid tonight, basically. Yeah, because I thought that whilst if I was not if I was not at work, I would have found somewhere illegal um, to watch it. Of course, not promoting illegal stuff. What, what but, is that? Know. What is that? <laughs> What, what's what? Sorry. <laughs> what's illegal? There's nothing like such a thing. I don't know what you. No, no, of course not. Of course not. You know, quick, quick search on Twitter will find find somewhere where you can settle down and watch the game, um, <laughs> in the comfort of your own home. Um, but yeah, you should. You know, if you're against um, this PPD uh, malarkey, then uh, donate to a charity instead. It's popular. Very good. Pete. No, that's fair enough. I thought if he's paying fifteen pound for the game and fifteen pound. Uh, Giving a donation, then obviously he's one of these seven thousand pound a day testers, isn't he? Oh yeah, he must be, <laughs> he must be raking it in. <laughs> I'd, I'd be in the Bahamas, mate. I'm telling you. Oh, don't start, mate. I'd love to be there right now. I've seen people at work on these uh, amazing uh, flights right now in, in luxury countries where they're on glorious Caribbean beaches. Makes me very jealous when I'm doing over my flights in Asia and that. But anyway, what have we all been up to uh, this week, guys? Uh, to be honest, I had a um, a fun-filled weekend. Portion were away. I decided not to uh, go up to Hornchurch to watch them. So I went to go and watch Rudgwick versus Lavins in, oh, wow. uh, uh, yeah, in Sussex Police. So what, what was that result? 3-2 win for Lavin away at Rudgwick. Great result considering they got spanked 5-0 earlier in the season by the same team. So um, really good result for Lavin. And what was the quality of the football there? Because, um, I mean, I have seen some lower leagues. Uh, Pete and me famously went to... Uh, uh, Shoreham versus Worthing United uh, just before lockdown and it wasn't best quality of football. Was that, was that last game before lockdown, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, mate, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the quality was all right. I mean, it's your sort of generic Saturday league football where we'll just turn up probably home over to play. So um, the, the quality is not bad. There's some very, very good players down there. Um, but um, no, it was enjoyable nonetheless. 
Well, I haven't got any uh, non-league fix or any football fix over the last couple of weeks due to it, but I know Pete's had a few few games this season. What have you been up to, Pete? Yeah, we was we was away at the weekend, wasn't we? So mm-hmm. um, at East Farrakh. So yeah, not not <laughs> not not the nicest ground in the world, but the actual surrounding area um, is really pretty, um, and there's a lovely little pub there as well. So. I've heard I, Ikea, Ikea is good for meatballs and uh, Costco is good for picking up some stuff in the surrounding areas. Is that right? <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people who cannot stand Ikea meatballs, to be honest. Oh, mate. What? When, they, when they had, is that because they got rid of the horse? Is that why you don't like them anymore? <laughs> Probably lost all their flavour after that. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, um, as I put on our little, uh, it's what, what's coming up on the show, uh, what you sent through our WhatsApp group, Worthing are smashing it right now. I know Horsham might stand below me on the screen, uh, might not want to talk about that, but we're doing well and I'm looking back to get forward to go to another game of Worthing tomorrow night. Hopefully when you're listening to this right now on the podcast, you'll also be at the game. So if you listen to it on the way or on the way home, so a game against Potter's Bar tomorrow, which will be really nice. Ian, have you, uh, apart from watching mediocre Brighton have you managed to get yourself to any football in the last couple of weeks uh, I haven't although I have been watching some uh, after after um, Chris the other week talking about um, South Shields being streaming on YouTube I have caught um, some other uh, lower league football on YouTube um, with varying quality I watched um, Solihull Moors versus Boreham Wood the other week um, which was quite entertaining really it made a break again sort of boycotting um, PPV um, it made a nice change. It's actually good to see that, like, and yeah, there was quite a lot of people watching, like a thousand people watching it at the time. So it's funny it's going see- back to what we were saying, like last episode about PPV and you know the cost of it. There's a lot of people talking on Twitter right now about. I saw something about Leicester City fan earlier this season with every subscription, and every PPV, it's going to cost them well over sort of thirteen hundred quid of the way it's going. So you know mm. they need to change something. Um, I mean, I hope to God. It's going to change. We can... What I was going to mention was we was away at Margate last weekend and doing a live commentary and Margate do a live stream. So on air, I announced just before it was about to kick off that Margate are doing a live stream on YouTube and I lost all my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> It's not really <laughs> ideal, is it? But you kind of, no. I look back at the chat program, you kind of did promote it, mate. You did say they've got a live stream. You, you sort of shot yourself in the foot there. Yeah, well, I, I, I thought it was just fair to tell the fans, to be honest, because I'm sure they'd rather watch the game than just listen to me droning on, to be honest. Well, I know you did speak to uh, Worthing sort of club uh, management and saying about, you know, we should really seriously look into it and then and try and dub your commentary over the uh, match, which would be brilliant. Uh, I know we had with, it. With some titles. Yeah, with subtitles, especially if you've got Kev Golds on. But that's another story for another podcast. But um, but going back to the uh, FA Cup tonight, guys, uh, the news from the FA that's come in is that no games, no matter if they're uh, below step two of the uh, National League, can be played in front of fans. Now, for me, we, we've gone on about let fans in all, all throughout the last few podcasts. But I am getting sick and tired of this now because this is getting ridiculous. There are some teams that have drawn each other a perfect opportunity to get through to round two and possibly even that round three down the luck of the draw against a Premier League club. But yet these fans can't experience it. What? Why? Why do you think they're doing this now? What, and, and as Pete will say in a minute about some rule changes as well, which seems ridiculous. And as he says, fast. Why the rule changes now, guys? I haven't got an answer for you. It's like, um, I think it spoils the integrity of the competition because you start a competition with a set of rules. Um, it's like if you've ever played pool in a pub 
and you, you play, you're playing a stranger and all of a sudden, you know, you get down to the black and then they're like, oh, you've got to nominate your pocket. And you're like, hold on, that's not normally the way I play. So yeah. it's like it's like the FA just sort of ch- ch- changing the rules at this stage um, when they shouldn't really. We, st- we started a competition with one set of rules and, and that set of rules should go all the way through the competition, in my opinion. Can you tell us what the updated rules are, Pete? Um, they're now allowing, allowing extra time because obviously before that extra time, it was, it was, there was no extra time, it was straight into penalties. And also um, on the COVID front, if there, if there is any postponements because the club has players that have, have come down to COVID, gone down with COVID, then the games can now be rescheduled. And a lot of clubs um, lower in the leagues who needed the money had to pull out the FA Cup. And they had to basically forfeit the cup because they had players who had COVID because they weren't allowed to reschedule. So, a farcical, if you ask me. Teams Burgess Hill, wasn't it? That to put up? I think it was, yeah. There's a couple. Yeah, that was quite a few. Yeah, so then obviously, you say, Knox County uh, had to put out the last round and it's just getting beyond the joke. I know Pete might not talk about the Knox County uh, team because they're our arch rivals of his lovely forest with uh, useless Lyle Taylor playing for them, who actually scored this weekend. So I can't call him useless anymore, but I've still got a grudge against him. Um, it just doesn't seem fair because these teams that have been affected in previous rounds are now put out of the cup and they could have well been in the cup. You never know. And the draw could have been different. I mean, it depends on, on how the FA has seen it. As a, um, obviously, it, for all of integrity, but I think maybe the, the FA are seeing the first round as the start point as opposed to the qualification for the, the main event proper. Um, a little bit like, you know, the, the World Cup or the, the Euros or something like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Johnny, you said, uh, I think it was in episode two, that you don't feel the magic of the FA Cup's going to be there this year. And, you know, it's definitely not going to be there now with the FA's latest stunt. No, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think the, the Cup has lost its magic. And whether it's whether it's going to be different next year, um, I mean, we, we, the, the magic of the FA Cup is is a day out. It's It's all about family, friends, going to the games, hoping for a big cup upset. Now you're sort of going to be just sitting on your couch just waiting for a final score to come in and mm. Garth Crooks to tell you that you're crap and <laughs> that's about it. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the magic certainly hasn't come back. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to go to one of the FA Cup games earlier this year at, at home to Horsham. Um, at home at, 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 at Horsham. And I mean, fortunately enough, we won. Um, but... It was just like any other game, really. It wasn't wasn't special. No, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to, you know, this, the magic. And, you know, we talked to Chris Dixon in this episode later on, which we'll hear soon. And he even said, like, you know, without fans at higher levels, it does feel like a pre-season friendly. There are goals going in left, right and centre. Is it really the Premier League? Because he, he seems to think fans are the ones that get on their backs if they're playing rubbish, if they, if they uh, need a bit of a lift. And, you know, some people could say that certain teams may not have been relegated or promoted if it hadn't been for the fans. So at the end of the day, they've got a point, And we'll hear more from Chris later. But looking at the, um, the some of the picks of the round for the next one, I mean, obviously our northern correspondents uh, of South Shields, uh, Chris and Ronnie, they have got Cheltenham Town for South Shields. It's quite a good home fixture, I think it is. And they, they've played, they, I think that's a really winnable draw for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I watched their highlights on, on YouTube. Um, and I would say their, their, their second goal Saturday was absolutely absolute cracker. So, 
Um, that looks a good team. They made chances. Last few games, even a couple of had a loss, they make a lot of chances, South Shields. So as long as their players have got shooting boots on, mm-hmm. I've I seen no reason why they can't they can't win that one and progress. And I see after um, they beat their arch rivals, Aldershot Woking have been drawn to League One's Gillingham. Good game, good draw for them, a winnable draw, I'd say. Uh, Gillingham not performing too well in League One right now. I think one of the draws that stood out for me for different reasons was Salford versus Hartlepool. See Hartlepool being non-league now. And uh, Jeff Selling's team. And you've got Paul Skulls in the class of 92 and Gary Neville and all that lot who are often Sky Sports. So that's going to be a bit of a draw. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that on TV, chaps, don't you think? <laughs> it's going to be a, a pick. It's, it's going to be a massive surprise as if it does get picked for TV. I wouldn't understand why it would get picked. Uh, yeah, complete role, role reversal. Um, Hartlepool's typically league club. Um, Salford down in the depths of non-league. Typically, so yeah, it'd be a uh, be a good feature. I mean, I expect Salford to come through flying colours, but um, we'll see. You'd like to think that. And FC United and Manchester drawing Doncaster Rovers is, uh, I think, one of the picks of the draws. You know, that's a very big match for FC United and Manchester. Would have loved to have seen them draw Salford City because of our reasons behind the whole formation of the club. That would have been a good one. As I said to us in the WhatsApp group, I'd love to have seen South Shields draw Sunderland. I mean, that would have been, especially Chris saying his, obviously, affiliation was with Sunderland. He's still, he's obviously got a soft spot Sunderland supports from his local team. South Shields versus Sunderland would have been a good one. But we can draw, we can live on, we can uh, dream on, as I should say. I was hoping my club, Charlton, would get uh, someone a little bit saucier. And we've got, I can't remember who we've got now. It's so irrelevant of uh, the jaws. And that's what, as you say, the magic of the FA Cup. Um, but Char- Charlton had to enter this round, have they, Jay? Yes, mate, because we got Lele relegated <laughs> into League One. And that stupid player, whatever his name's, that with the rubbish haircut that looks like a bog brush went to a team that you support. But, you know, I won't be bitter or salty about that anymore. <laughs> but I think some of so I watched uh, watching the draw on BBC tonight. And... Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of the uh, clubs on there were hoping for bigger ties against Ipswich, Charlton, Sunderland, Portsmouth have drawn against each other. But I would look at that if I, if my non-league club uh, Worthing were in the ground, I'd have been quite happy if uh, another non-league team because I think it gives you a chance to progress a little bit higher. In your thoughts on that, chaps, would you rather have a round one big match against a league one top club at Sunderland and Portsmouth or would you rather have someone in the non-league um, hemisphere that could get you up to round two, round three even? Ian, well, if, we, if we're talking about fans in stadiums, surely you were, and and the chance for fans in stadiums, you are fighting for the third round. Mm-hmm. You know, hitting January time. You know, if if the situation in the country's changed, you may well have a home tie, or even you know, even an away tie against a big team. You know, plenty of fans in the stadium get some money in. That's the best chance, right? I mean, yeah, exactly, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you, you as long as there's no banana skins, as long as you're not going to slip up and you're going to lose to bottom of the table in your own league, um, ultimately, you want to progress as far as you can. You get the prize money for, for qualifying for each round. Ultimately, if you get Sunderland or Portsmouth in the second round or the third round even, then at least at least you're still progressing. Obviously, the, the prize money is good um, for, for qualifying, uh, qualifying for each round. So ultimately, you just want to get as far as you possibly can raise the profile of your own club you say about embarrassments I mean one of the most embarrassing times as a Charlton fan was when we played Northwich Victoria in the first round of the FA Cup when we were in League One it was 
Well, it was just, I think, when Phil Parkinson was still our manager, it was just an awful time in the club and we lost 1-0. And I just, well, I was on holiday in Lanzarote and I had my two mates with me. One was a Spurs fan, one was a Portsmouth fan. And they were absolutely ripping me so much. I had to walk out and go and sit on the beach and assault for about an hour to call, calm down. <laughs> Pete, have you had any FA Cup upsets over the years that you remember? Or anything that sticks out to you? Not really, no. No, we, you know, we don't get upset by little teams at Forest. Um, but going back to the point of playing smaller, smaller teams, um, Worthing, uh, yeah, I'd, have, I'd have loved clubs at sort of, sort of similar level. Um, so you can, as Johnny said, so you can progress, get some prize money in. Uh, but one of the things I don't understand is why they call it the first round proper, because every round of the FA Cup is proper to the fans, regardless of the level that they're at. It's a bit of an insult to me, I think. I mean, I think yeah, they've got no, no, they don't really care about anything other than you know when professional gets involved, as we clearly seen throughout the season. And we could be here for hours. We spoke over some on the various different podcasts about how the FA really don't seem to care about anything below League Two. Uh, it's starting to become a bit of a, a laughing stock now. It's very frustrating. You just shake your head every time there's an announcement, and tonight's announcement was just even more so. Yeah, I totally agree with that, James. Gone on to this week and uh, funding in the uh, National League. A lot of clubs are getting very frustrated because there's no set plan of how they're going to spread this funding from the FA from the Premier League grants. Um, I know we go into it in detail in a minute with uh, Ollie Bayless, who Pete's interviewed during the week. But chaps, your thoughts on it? How can you fairly divvy up parachute not parachute payments, but you know dividends and you know grants to help support non-league football? How would you fairly divvy it up? I mean, Pete, you spoke this week, Ollie. Who, what would your thoughts of it be? I think it's been done unfairly because it was supposed to have been uh, capped on t- on admissions into the ground based on last season. Uh, so some teams would have been struggling, I know, and probably wouldn't have got the, the crowds they'd usually get. But you've still got an average gate. And some clubs have really, really benefit- benefited from this. Um, and a lot of clubs are, gonna, are still going to lose a lot of money. So... Um, I, I don't think it's been done fairly. Uh, Ollie's got a couple of different things that he's going to sort of mention about it because uh, I think he's sort of on the fence really about it. Um, but I'll, I'll let him speak for himself in the interview. Uh, but my opinion is uh, a lot of clubs, it's national lottery funding, and a lot of clubs I feel like they've won the lottery, to be honest. Yeah, I think the way that we've got to look at it here is with the, um, with the money that's coming down, Ultimately, clubs will have costs, regardless of of, the, of, the, of whether they're top of the league, bottom of the league, whether they have a thousand fans or a hundred fans. Ultimately, there there are so many fixed costs associated with football clubs that, for me, I have no issues with it being spread evenly, whether it be ten grand per club, a hundred grand per club, however it may be. I think ultimately, at set levels, so step one, step two, step three, etc., down. I think it should be a set level for every single club in each league. Well, you only need to look at the controversy with, uh, like in the National League North and South, where they're divvying the money up there. There's quite a lot of controversy with the way that the money's being split there, where some clubs, as has been rightfully pointed out, there are beneficiaries. Um, you're right, evenly split is going to be the fairest way to do it. It's going to be the most democratic way of doing it, certainly. But at the same time, okay, a lot of clubs are benefiting from it. Then all of a sudden, they've got a nice little uh, budget to play payer wages, etc. Mm. So, then, so is that fair? And, and and the bigger clubs who aren't getting as much, 
then they're probably going to have to cut back on, on their players, etc. So, is is that fair based on you know attendances, etc. Bigger clubs. But then I know looking at other grants that have been suggested over the course of before the season, everything. Are there certain things that these grants can be used towards? Because I know other grants you weren't allowed to use it for player wages. So is this one of the ones you can, or do we know if you can use this towards player wages or not? Well, yeah, because it's 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 replacing gate money basically. Okay. So so there's no reason why it can't be. So some clubs really will benefit from this, and a lot of clubs are going to lose out. Well, I know and probably um, a lot of a lot of players are going to lose out as well. That's true. I mean, I know South Shields, FC United, Manchester, and Scarborough have also uh, from the Northern League have actually called on uh, the FA to support Step Three and Below. Now, do Chris isn't here right now to speak about. It. We'll hopefully join him later on in the podcast. But ha, do you think it's fair that we get support, or we getting enough support from the gate receipts? Because okay, clubs like you know ourselves, Worthing, you know, we were taking what was the average last season about nine hundred. So when we go home, we will be missing out on about three hundred fans or such. Um, a lot of clubs at our level, you're not really getting that amount of fans. You are getting the cap of sort of 600 and that's it. Do you think it would be fair to fund us? Uh, Johnny, as commercial manager of Horsham, what would you say in terms of, you know, funding? Do you think we should be getting extra funding? I, I've got to be completely honest with you. I think we at step three and below are in a very, very fortunate position. Mm-hmm. We, we typically pay players as they play. So if the so the pandemic at the end of last season when it was curtailed, we wouldn't have had any sort of expenses in terms of playing budgets. Whereas at step two and step one, they probably would have done. We're at a level now where the vast majority, and uh, I use that as the vast majority, um, were they not being included in that, where we have a limit of 600 fans at Horsham. Last year, our average attendance was around about 600. And now on Saturdays, it was considerably more usually. Um, or Sussex derbies, it was considerably more. We'd probably be up to about a thousand. So yeah, I think we are missing out, but I think we are in a very, very fortunate position that we're allowed fans back in the ground. We've got people paying for tickets, people paying for merchandise, people paying for beer and food. I think we've got to count our blessings at the moment, and I think a lot of the funding has to go to step one and step two. Yeah, I agree with that. But you know, Worthing have an average of nine hundred, so we're missing out on three hundred people. Um, so 300 people paying £20, that's £6,000 per home game. That's, that's quite a dent. £20? Is that how much you Well, not, not how to get in. I mean, <laughs> if, they spend that, if they spend that on average within the ground. I think we're looking yeah, we're at not, Pete wants to take over Werben, and this is his plan. 20 quid a ticket, he'll get it from nearly 1000 a game down to no one, because no one's going to pay that. <laughs> we're not St Albans who charge 18 at the one level above us. Um, but like I say, six, six, you know, if they spend on average 20 quid in the ground, it's £6,000 a home game. It's a lot of money for a non-league team. Yeah, absolutely is a lot of money. And I completely agree with that. But I think we've got to be very, we've got to count our blessings here that we are actually fortunate that we're actually allowed 600 in. I mean, it, Yeah, we, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, We could be in a position where we've got zero fans in and we're demanding for more support from um, from the government and from from the parachute or the support payments that are coming in. Um, I've got to say, in terms of season ticket holders at, at Horsham, we've actually increased the amount of season ticket holders year over year. Um, probably by about 30%. Um, so it's it's gone really, really well over the summer. Obviously, we're, we're seeing a lot more people trying to get involved in non-league football. I think that's probably the case. 
Um, just obviously as we're trying to do here, we're trying to get more people involved in non-league football, more people interested in non-league football. So I think we, we as I said, look, we've been very fortunate in our position um, to be able to attract the, the crowds that we have been. Um, and we're probably more fortunate that we're still sort of accommodating around about the same sort of average crowds as we were last year. And let me pose this question to Ian. So, as you know, someone that supports Brighton Hove Albion, as he said, he's lambasted the league's decision for the 1495. We spoke about that on episode three, if you want to listen again. Um, if if you could go and see a Brighton game now, and it was, you know, you, you had the sort of half capacity or something, with all the sort of, you know, frustrations you've had throughout the league, or you could go and see, I know obviously with your work situation, you can't actively go and watch football right now as it is, but... Would you still go and watch the Albion after everything that's happened this summer? Or would you want to take a break and maybe go and experience a non-league a little bit more and save a bit more of your money? Um, at the moment, I mean, primarily, I don't go to Brighton by myself. Like I always go with my, my dad. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, and, and, now, and now my wife as well. Um, so if I'm not going with one of them, I'm actively not going. So the, the, for me, it's more... Um, if the, the Premier League and the, and the league continue to go down this route where pay-per-view games and such and the way that the, the everything is all stru- you know, structured financially, then yeah, of course I'm going to have to go to more league, non-league stuff because why not? I want to see live football if I can't watch my team or they make it difficult for me to watch my team then I'm, 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 you know, I want to go and see different stadiums, different leagues, you know like like most of us, I've seen football at every level and every standard. But I actually think I was, you know, I've had this discussion with JK before. The amount of um, grounds I've actually been to is actually quite small in comparison to other people, because the teams I support inherently end up playing like the same few people. That's exactly what you got to say. You know, I mean, it's just it's still for me it's the cost of you know going up to London to see the team. And you know, I'm just fortunate, as Johnny said, that we can actually get in at this level right now. When I'm in a position when I'm not working, I can go and see some games, which is a position with my job. Um, but moving on from that, guys, we're going to listen to part one of Ollie Bayliss's interview right now. And uh, Pete uh, spoke to him earlier in the week. And uh, over to Pete and Ollie. So, Pete, thanks for arranging this. Are you PNLP? Right, I'd like to welcome Ollie Bayliss to the Premier Non-League podcast. Ollie's a journalist, football commentator and presenter of the Non-League show on BBC Three Counties Radio. So how are, how are you this uh, afternoon, Ollie? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, all good and good and healthy. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. The last time I spoke to you was the, uh, the null and void decision. Which obviously didn't go down well in a lot of in a lot of places, and and it seems that since that's happened, there's an awful lot lot of things that you know to talk about in the non-league scene. Yeah, it's it's ever interesting at the moment, isn't it? It's it, you can almost not remember a time where all we had to worry about was was games and and goals and strikers and and you know you could support a football club by by just looking to see if a game, when a game was on and maybe having to worry about pitch inspection, that was about it. Now you've got to look at, at our rates and, and tiers and restrictions and, and fan capacity caps and, and all sorts. It's a weird, weird world we're living in at the moment. But it's, I suppose it's sort of ever interesting from a you know, sort of a weird point of view, but I'd rather it back to normal. Yeah, absolutely, wouldn't we all? Um, so, yeah, uh, let, let fans in. Uh, the campaign, the petition, obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to be heard on the 9th of November. Uh, your thoughts on that? 
I think it's brilliant to sort of show the, the strength of the football community. Certainly something that, that may well come out of this and has come out of this period is there's been a, you know, a real unity, I think, amongst football fans and, and football clubs as well. Um, it's brilliant. See, you know, nearly 200,000 football fans get behind this and sign this. Everyone from the Premier League sharing it and getting on board the EFL, clubs like Man United and, and Spurs and Leeds, all the way down to, of course, the National League, clubs like, like Concord Rangers, Dorking Wanderers getting behind it. Um, and clubs in, you know, lower down in the non-league pyramid as well, who have got fans back, still getting behind it and showing some solidarity. So I think that's that was really positive. And it's, you know, it's really positive to see so many people get behind it. I think if we're being realistic at the moment, it feels unlikely that the government are going to change their mind, given the kind of political mood at the moment and the the sort of further introduction to to restrictions and, and tears and lockdown and things like that. I think if we're being honest, I, I would be very surprised if we see the government change their mind over this over the coming coming days and weeks. Uh, what's frustrating is there does seem to sort of be an inconsistency in in what is allowed and what isn't allowed. So this weekend, next weekend, cinemas, which clearly it's an industry that that needs money and you know needs to support itself, and you know you you can't blame them for doing it. They're streaming live football matches in in a cinema environment. Now, if people can go inside in a cinema in say Manchester, they're one of the ones that's streaming it. Um, you know, which is in a tier three lockdown, and watch a game of live football on a screen indoors it does kind of beg a belief that you can't go into a massive football stadium and sit miles apart from anyone and watch a game in an open air environment. Now there are certain kind of reasons why we're at that point, but things like that do kind of leave you scratching your head. Similarly, there's five, six, seven now EFL clubs that are streaming home games in their, their bars and in the hospitality area to fans that can go in essentially into the stadium and watch them inside with the clubs drawing the curtains and not letting them look directly out into the pitch. Now, clearly being inside and drawing curtains doesn't stop COVID-19. In fact, having fans in a tighter environment inside watching a screen is clearly less safe than if they were out in the open air in a big spacious environment. But that's where we are. That's what the rules are. And at the moment, I can't see the government easing the rules, but you do kind of end up scratching your head at these kind of inconsistencies and weird scenarios we're now in. Yeah, some of it, like I say, it does actually defy logic, doesn't it? That you can go inside a cinema, but you 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 can't, you can't go in an open air stadium, um, space, you know, socially distanced. Uh, yeah, beggars belief. And obviously, at the the level I watch non-league um, with Worthing, we've we've been allowed fans in, and you know, um, it's all been well controlled by the clubs, temperature checks. Uh, obviously. When, you, when you're purchasing tickets online now, because it's a whole new environment for non-league. Um, it, it's what we found is, you know, it really is a safe environment. And, you know, most people are spreading out and keeping keeping to the rules. I know a couple of people have, have felt uncomfortable um, at a couple of games when they said, oh, there's a few groupings. I was at Alf Church for an F, FA Cup game. Um, and you have one of the stewards actually going round just reminding people to socially distance. So, you know, the clubs are trying their best. And you, you just wonder why at non-league, why they can't step it up to the National League North and South, see how it goes with them, and then then go up the leagues gradually. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, logically, 600 fans in a step three ground is is less safe than 600 fans in a, in a step two ground, the National League North and South. Of course it is, because they're bigger grounds. Lots of them are full-time or almost full-time clubs with full-time staff. They've got, 
you know, more stewards, more protocols, things like that. Logically, the higher up the pyramid you go, the safer it is for fans to attend in that number. It's this cutoff they've made where the playoffs took place and the, the issue was perhaps forced by some clubs who wanted the playoffs played. They got that elite label and they're now facing this challenge of, of not having fans because of that elite label. Now, the two things are actually unconnected, really, in, in any other kind of normal world. Your ability to hold playoff games is nothing to do with your ability to have fans safely in your ground. It's this weird sort of arbitrary constructed existence we're living in at the moment with these labels and these classifications and these guidance. And that's where we are. But really, should they've had playoffs? Probably there's no reason they couldn't have had a playoffs. Should they be allowed fans? Well, if step three can have fans, step two should be allowed fans as well. You know, logically, you could say both of those things. But we are where we are. And actually, the current situation for the National League and the National League North and South maybe gives them more of a guarantee at the moment without fans that they can carry on playing than if they were relying on fans to come through. Because as we're seeing in areas like like South Shields, where they've got a, a local lockdown and they're now down to a capacity of 300, actually, it's, it's not certainty that we're going to have fans allowed at that level of non-league to the end of the season, whereas it feels like that National League funding is is more of a guarantee for, for clubs at that level. So to some extent, and as frustrating as it is that we're not allowed fans back in, there are certainly some clubs, I imagine at step two, that are quite thankful for that regular source of funding every month, as opposed to having to, you know, glance nervously at the R rate and wonder if they're going to be allowed fans in this week or not, or whether that's going to stop. Yeah, absolutely. So you've sort of... You've gone on to our next subject now, actually. So National National League funding. Um, it's gone down like a lead balloon in some places. Yes, it has. And there are lots of clubs that are very publicly frustrated at how it's been, been divvied up. So people haven't seen it. It's, it's £10 million that we, we understood was going to be government money. It's now come from the National Lottery, the National Lottery's promotions pool of money so it isn't kind of coming directly out of their good causes fund it's it's from their sort of promotions and, and sponsorship pot of money and they've got 10 million pounds over the next three months and it's being divvied out to now off the top of my head just over ninety thousand for for a handful of national league clubs other national league clubs get about 15 14 thousand pounds less than that high 70s and then down at step two, National League North, National League South, there's a handful of clubs, five clubs that are getting 36,000, the rest that are getting 30,000. And clubs, several clubs anyway, and those that are being vocal in their criticism of this, felt that it was going to be divvied up by, by the loss of revenue, the loss of fan revenue. So it was going to be divvied up almost per supporter. So you look, you'd look at last season's attendance and say, well, Hereford, they were going to get this many thousand fans. So, I don't know, £10 per fan per home game. This is the money you get. You look at a club in the National League, say, say Boreham Wood are one that are being cited a lot at the moment. You know, average attendance, seven, 800. We're going to give them £10 per club. We're going to give them that. And certainly I can understand their, their case. It, it was presented like that by, by Nigel Huddleston MP in Parliament. He said that was, that was how it's going to be divided up. And I can totally understand their point of view that clubs like, like Dulwich Hamlet, like Hereford, like Kidderminster are saying, well, hang on a minute, we've got a bigger fan base than, than lots of clubs in the National League who are getting sufficiently more than we are. And I think what's frustrating for clubs as well is that they started the season in the National League North and South especially under the promise that they were going to 
get sufficient funding for them to be able to carry on. And they didn't have the figure and they kind of had to take this leap of faith jump and say, right, we will start the season. We will trigger our contracts. We're going to have to start paying players. We trust that we're going to get a decent amount of <laughs> a decent amount of, of money from the government or from whoever it is in order to continue our season. Now, some of them are clearly not happy with the pot of money they've got. I have a lot of sympathy for, for that argument. I, I can also see the other side of the coin where if we were to say, you know, a club like Notts County, right, you have £200,000 a month because you've got, a, you know, a large fan base and Boreham Wood, you have £10,000 a month. To an extent, that sort of becomes financial doping, doesn't it, the National League, where, you know, you're giving one club because they've got a massive fan base, a huge amount of money, another club, a tiny amount of money. I don't know how we'd feel about that if that was the Premier League and say, you know, the Premier League said, right, we're going to give money nice in Liverpool. You can have £50 million this month in Aston Villa. You know, in Brighton, you have £10 million. You know, I think we'd feel quite uncomfortable about that. So I can sort of see the argument from clubs like, like Boreham Wood and Boreham Wood chairman I've spoken to feels that he's paid players and he's signed players over the summer that he knew he could afford to pay. And they're a club that are trying to go for promotion. And to them, it would be quite frustrating if a club like Notts County has suddenly given this boost of a couple of hundred thousand pounds that they don't get because they've got a fan base that aren't allowed in. Actually, none of these clubs were expecting to get more than a thousand fans in the first month or two anyway. That was always going to be capped. So none of them over the summer were preparing to have five, ten thousand fans in their stadiums because that was always massively unlikely to happen. So I can see I can see both sides of the argument. And there are a lot of clubs who are quietly very happy who are not speaking out. So you can sometimes be deceived in thinking. Yeah. And it's like the null and void decision that, that every club hates it. Not every club does hate it. There are a lot of clubs that are quietly sitting there thinking, actually, this is more money than we were going to get if we got fans in. So, you know, we're happy about it. There are also a lot of clubs who are frustrated. And I can understand the frustration because it doesn't appear to have been divvied out based on fans and based on expected attendances, which they were effectively promised. And there's yeah. a lack of transparency. We don't really understand how they've come to those figures. And I think that is the, the chief frustration among it. And I can totally understand that. That's it. Because I think um, it was uh, Terry Casey, the co-owner of Maidstone, um, just quote something he said, this is one of the most extraordinary cases of the misuse of grant funding that I have ever witnessed. So, and he was also saying that um, the, the FA and National League had a clear mandate to spend the money on last gate revenue. What they have done is ignore this and instead allowed National League board members to favour some clubs with outrageous amounts of money that far exceed their gate receipts. So not a very happy chap. <laughs> no, he's effectively, you know, accusing members of the board of, of favouring a decision that helps the clubs they represent because most members on the National League board are our owners or are involved in different clubs. So uh, that's effectively what he's saying there. And it's, it's definitely it's definitely strong words. And I think it's, again, I can I can understand their their frustration. And I think I think the two things that are difficult about it is clubs started the season and on a promise and on an expectation that they were going to have their losses covered. And most clubs aren't having their losses covered. And I think they haven't yet seen a formula or a full explanation as to how it was worked out. I think those are two things. I think they're presented with a formula before the season started and it was all done before they started and they can start knowing the state of play. 
I, I think that would have alleviated a lot of it. But because of various circumstances, not all within the FA or the National League's control, to be fair, where we are where we are. But yeah, there are a lot of clubs that are, are quite frustrated with with the way it's gone. And I, I can understand that that point of view. I, I think it might be a little bit far to sort of accuse members of... Certainly, I've seen the argument that, that Oliver Dowden is the MP for Boreham Wood and, and you know, is in charge of the DCMS. So, you know, Boreham would have done very well out of it. I personally, I don't think Oliver Dowden has had any any involvement in this. I think he's got a lot else going on. I doubt he has sat around the table with the National League and worked out the formula, if I'm being honest. I could be wrong, but I I, I don't think that argument holds holds a lot of weight for me anyway. Fair enough. Right. You've just mentioned the DCMS. Um, Obviously, everyone was glued to your Twitter feed during the summer uh, with the, the let fanzine at level three and below and your involvement there with the, still with the let fanzine campaign. Um, what was it like dealing with the DCMS and getting information out of them? Was it a difficult task or quite easy? To be honest, there are people that work and this is there's a difference between the ministers themselves, so, so Oliver Dowden and Nigel Huddleston are the two that, that we sort of, I guess, see most often from a football point of view, because Oliver, Oliver Dowden is, is head of the DCMS and, and Nigel Huddleston is in charge of sport. And they, you know, di- directly, no, as press, you, you, you can't, well, rarely can you pick up the phone and get anything directly from them. But they have a team around them who talk to press and engage with the press. And actually, to be honest, generally, if you ask them or their team a straightforward question you get a straightforward answer or you get a you know can't say anything officially but this this and this or we're going to make this announcement in the coming days or hours actually very good to be honest I, I wouldn't you know in terms of an engagement and getting answers out of them very good not necessarily always agreeing with the answers they give or, or as a football fan not necessarily agreeing with all the answers they give is a different thing but certainly in terms of sort of a accessibility or at least getting a bit of back and forward from them yeah pretty good you can't really argue with that and actually as a journalist sometimes that's that's all you can ask for you can't always ask for you know them to come up with decisions that you personally agree agree with because the world doesn't work like that but actually I do appreciate that actually they have a team of people at the DCMS who who will engage and give you details and will send stuff over to you that they think might be of interest or will We'll also be quite keen to shout about the good stuff they they have done. There's been a lot of funding that's been found for for non-league, maybe not as much as they much as they could be, but Football Foundation, the Premier League, there's there's been various grants and things made available. You know, National League clubs were all given twenty thousand pounds before the season started to make their grounds COVID secure for fans. Now, that's been a bit of a waste of money at the moment because fans aren't in, but they were given a pot of money from the Premier League to do that and things like that. So, they have been good from sort of shouting about the good stuff they've done and they are good to deal with okay excellent so you, you broke up a little bit there that's fine though we, we got the gist of what you're saying right at the end um i was going to say on that but on that basis we've um uh step three and below of non-league obviously some of the clubs uh worthing for example my team uh, south south shields hastings um they obviously had bigger attendances um, do you think there will be any sort of funding available to, I know a couple of uh, clubs have made an inquiry, whether there be any funds coming down to make up their shortfalls? Yeah, I mean, again, actually, this is a, it's an example of the DCMS at least being quite transparent in, in what they're doing. So, yeah, I understand there is there is hope. So when when we had that sort of decision 
towards the end of September, where the Prime Minister said, we're not going to look to get more grounds open and we're not going to look to kind of extend the number of fans in grounds. The, the FA then had a meeting with the DCMS and the FA, I understand, made representations on, on behalf of clubs at all different levels. So I think they, you know, they clearly said the National League needs to start the National League funding. But also there are clubs lower down that are hitting that that cap. So clubs like South Shields at the moment, I think 300 fans, but even when they had 600 they'd expect a lot higher than that, wouldn't they? Clubs like Scarborough and, and FC United and Manchester. Um, locally, to me, we've got a club called Crawley Green who are having to play behind closed doors. They're step five side, but they play at, at Luton Town's training complex. So because of EFL rules, they're not allowed fans. They're having to play completely behind closed doors. So there are plenty of sort of of good examples of clubs like Bury AFC, clubs like that, that are, you know would, would easily double the, the sort of capacity limit in normal times. So I think those are all quite good candidates to say, hang on a minute, we could do with a bit of additional support. And I gather the FA have made that case to the DCMS who are now sitting down looking at all the various sports because they also have to look at sports that aren't just football. As much as us as football fans, you know, want them to come with answers football the whole time. There are also a lot of other sports that actually I think have probably been forgotten slightly over the course of this. Football was quite quick to come back as a team sport and fans at grassroots level and things like that. There are, you know, sports like, like field hockey, things like that, that have actually been quite, been quite sort of late to the party to, to get going. Um, the DCMS have got to look at all those sports and where they most need funding and how they distribute it and things like that, which isn't necessarily the easiest of jobs. They've, they've had a few weeks to do it and they haven't done it yet. But I understand they, they are looking at it for clubs further down the pyramid. So there is still hope that we might see some funding for, for clubs like South Shields and, and Scarborough and clubs like that, hopefully, and, and maybe Worthing as well. Hopefully. <laughs> you never know. The Premier Non-League Podcast. Part one of a fascinating interview with Oli Bayliss there. Part two coming up very shortly. We've talked about local lockdowns in the past couple of weeks in terms of different parts of the UK. And now we've obviously got this tiered system where we are at the moment. And I think the same for you, chaps, Johnny and Ian. We are in the, is it medium or something like that or risky or something? But we, we're not really affected right now. But other parts like Manchester, Liverpool, uh, London now are all affected by the tier, the tier three, tier two and tier three. It doesn't affect sport, I don't think, does it, Peter? Right. Yeah, especially at our level. No, at the moment it's not expected. It's not affecting sports at our, our level. Um, but as Chris said from South Shields last time, even they've had their their uh, capacity limited. So it depends on local authorities where sports is concerned. But at the moment, where we are in a medium risk area, uh, there is no restrictions, and we can carry on as as normal. Now, do we think? I mean, we can't know what the government's going to do because I don't think anyone knows but do we think this could change do you think step three may see a lockdown in certain games or certain delays yet Johnny has there been any discussion at Horsham if that happens no no discussions from from what I've been involved in uh, as I understand as I think we rightly said that the idea is that it continues at all levels even as you said I think we're medium at the moment we've got medium high and very high um, as I understand, sport continues at, all, uh, at each of those different thresholds. So uh, no, no conversations from our side. Long may it continue because we really don't need it because I think really, as we've spoken about funding in part one of the podcast tonight, it's just not happening at step three. And if we don't get those gate receipts, there's going to be mega, mega problems and clubs will go out of business. And I really don't want to be in a UK where that happens because football is a lifeblood of so many people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
to be honest, without, without the uh, release of football, I, I don't know what I, I would have done, to be honest, because it was bad enough in the first lockdown, uh, you know, finding things to do when you, you, your life basically is revolving around Worthing, following them, going to the training sessions, getting interviews, et cetera, et cetera, for the other projects that we do, James. Um, and if I had lost that for much longer, I think I'd, I'd have gone up the wall, to be honest. And I, I do, I do fear for you know for people's mental health at the moment, especially Wales has gone into another lockdown now, um, and that's concerning. And there's talk about another another tier in this country of a tier four level, which I would suggest would be a, a total lockdown. Well, we've seen in Wales, I mean, we're, we're not talking about football here, but I guess you could say in some way, because all the shops close and in supermarkets, as we've seen pictures on social media or on the news, they've been wrapping off closed sections in Asda's, Tesco's, they've been closing the book section. So, you know, you can go and buy food and drink, which is fine, but if, you know, you had someone pass away, you can't buy a sympathy card. They're saying they're doing it to protect shops, but we clearly know people will just go online and that's going to harm shops even more if they see the easiness of doing it. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think we're going to have a, we're still, if we say it every time we come on air with the podcast, guys, we're going to, we, week by week, it changes. We didn't know this tier system came in until two weeks ago. We're seeing, you know, levels still quite high in terms of testing positive, but, you know, the death rates, you know, they're creeping up slightly, but they're still not. I've worked with a few people at my workplace this week that have had covid and they've they've literally not had any symptoms they've uh they've passed it they're now clear and they're back to work and you know this is maybe what's happening the virus has changed but as i said that's for a different podcast we'll go into part two with ollie bayliss now it's a really good interview and i look forward to hearing the rest of this one are you plp so um Local local lockdowns. What do you think? You, obviously, we've mentioned South Shields. Uh, they've had to they've, their attendance has been dropped down. Um, do you think that's something that, that we're going to see all, all through the season this this season? Uh, and these tier three restrictions, because some people are saying you, you can't go into a tier three area. Sorry, tier one area to to watch it, or you shouldn't go in there to watch a football match. Um, it's the, the rules are just. You're just like you advised, aren't you? It's it's a nightmare. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. Um, so, yeah. So tier three is the highest tier, isn't it? Tier three is the the very high level. Um, and what's difficult is, and what's been difficult over the last week is that no one has quite made up their mind what it means for sport. So, the government's tier three guidance. And this is where it all gets very confusing as well, because this was introduced to make it as straightforward and as simple as possible for the public. But the government's tier three is like a base level of tier three that then the local authority can add extra things on top of as well. So tier three in Liverpool isn't necessarily the same as a tier three in Manchester, isn't necessarily the same as a tier three in, in Yorkshire. Um, it's the But the basic sort of tier three is that the team sports can carry on outdoors, which is great. And there isn't any kind of explicit limit on, on fans or fans being reduced. So in theory, at tier three, you can carry on playing football and you can carry on having fans at the same level as before, which is great. Where it becomes a little bit murkier is that there is a travel restriction within that that effectively says you should only travel when necessary. You should only travel outside of your tier three area when necessary. If it's for work, if it's for education, if it's for youth services. And this is where there's been a lot of back and forward and a really kind of 
muddy set of guidelines that people have been struggling to follow, where it seems to now have settled that if you are traveling to play a non-league game of football, that's fine, because I think that basically falls under the pool of you're traveling for work, or at least most players in non-league driving some level of of money from it. So non-league clubs can travel anywhere up and down the country and play a game of football. Their supporters are advised not to travel in and out of tier three areas to go and watch them because in theory, if you were stopped by a policeman and he said, you've come from a tier three area, why are you making this journey? If you said, oh, I'm going to watch City of Liverpool FC away, he would say that isn't a necessary journey. You shouldn't be making that journey and would probably send you home. He probably wouldn't put you in prison for life. He'd probably send you home. I could issue with a fine. It's, you are in theory breaking those tier three restrictions so quite what the penalty could be i don't know i think in reality you'd probably just be sent home um and then if you're playing grassroots football or local county level football football at step seven or down or sunday league football now is that traveling for work is that traveling for education kind of isn't so they've now decided mostly that if you're an adult traveling outside of tier three to play football you shouldn't be doing that so we've now ended up in this situation where leagues like the, the Cheshire League, clubs that are, exist in that sort of step seven of what's become the, the non-league sort of feeder leagues, they're not allowed to travel outside of their tier three area to play football. And that's going to cause a massive headache for that level of football because there are only a certain amount of teams you can play within your, your local area and leagues are made up across five, six, seven different areas. So those leagues are very quickly going to gonna be stopped or have to come with some different system to start playing games again there's going to be a lot of games against the same teams because they're not allowed to travel to play um areas like liverpool did say that under 18s also couldn't travel they've now backtracked on that so generally the consensus is under 18s disability teams as well they can travel because that's considered to be a youth service and they can travel to play games so really it's it's spectators who are traveling at their area and it's adult Sunday league, Saturday league football that's that's being impacted as well. But that's quite a lot of people and it's quite frustrating. Right. So could you do such a good job in explaining two three? <laughs> could you could you explain tier two? <laughs> <laughs> tier two's fine. No, tier two is tier two doesn't it doesn't really restrict unless unless your local authority decides that it it does want it to restrict sport it doesn't really restrict sport and we had this weird situation last week where london was going into tier two and the london fa very quickly said right we're going into tier two it means um all football supporters have to wear face masks and we're only allowed 15 percent capacity at games you all got to go down to 150 or whatever of your step five and six and then i think someone had a word with them and said hang on a minute if we're doing you know if you're doing this in tier two what on earth does that mean for tier three and they retracted it all essentially um tier two generally doesn't restrict uh, i don't think really anything in terms of sport i suppose somebody outside of you should, probably shouldn't be going into a clubhouse with somebody outside of your household if you're in tier two there's a few bits and pieces like that but broadly you can go and watch football in in tier two it's fine it's sort of the who you go with i think that's limited slightly um Tier three is when the, the bigger restrictions come in. And actually tier three is also where, where clubhouses have to close because pubs that don't serve food are having to close in Liverpool and, and Manchester, Yorkshire, places like that. Most non-league clubhouses I know don't 
serve you with you know a full roast dinner as well so most non-league clubhouses are going to have to close because of this and actually that's a big way of clubs making money isn't it um yeah. already they're all having to close at 10 p.m up and down the country but in tier three they're having to close um which is gonna mean clubs lose out on funds yeah, so a sandwich, a sandwich and a packet of crisps doesn't count as a meal. I think if it isn't it if it, it comes with the salad, you're right. So a pasty on its own isn't a meal. A pasty with the salad is a meal. So yeah, maybe, maybe a Twix, a packet of crisps, and a pie. I, that's a meal, isn't it? You give it, but actually already, all non-league clubs up and down the country are having to follow the the government's hospitality rules about table service, which are written with pubs in mind. We know, we know that they're written to try and make pubs safer so that you don't go up to the bar in big groups, fine, that makes sense. In non-league grounds, I've seen perfectly safe non-league grounds that basically put a table outside their bar and they do that table service where you walk up, you get whatever drink you want and you go and drink it on the sideline somewhere in miles of space. And that to me feels perfectly safe. Now they have to stick you down at a table and they have to come over to you, take your order, deliver it to the table. And that's become a massive headache for clubs to kind of follow these rules that are not written for non-league football. They're not written for grounds. They're written for, for Weatherspoons and places like that. And that's they might work for Weatherspoons. They don't really work for non-league clubs. No, I was at um, Kingstonian the other week and uh, it was a very strange experience going in the bar because you stood at the door, lady let you go in. And it was two tables, two metres away from the bar. And literally, you had to sit down, order your drink. The drink would be served to you. Uh, you'd pay for it. And then you could stand up and leave the bar. So it was a very, it, very it, weird it way of doing it. Makes no sense. It, it's, it's counterintuitive in terms of safety because you're all touching the same surface. You're all sitting down at the same table. That's a contact area that isn't being wiped down and sterilised after every person. So you've got loads of football fans come in. Everyone sits up. Everyone, as opposed to if they just served it to you from a hatch or from the bar in a queue, you went and drank it outside, miles away from anyone else. Far safer, isn't it? All all logic would suggest that's far safer. But we're in this weird situation where even even the little tea huts that isn't part of the bar for a club that doesn't even serve alcohol still has to to make every reasonable step to try and make you sit down to eat your Mars bar and drink your cup of tea before you can then wander around, which again, doesn't make, surely eating that Mars bar over by the corner flag in a load of space is far safer than having to sit down on the same table that 50 supporters have sat down to eat that. Like it, it doesn't make sense, but that's, that's where we are. Yeah, the clock's going back this weekend, Ollie. I don't think I can cope with another hour this year, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so so mental. So do you, do you actually think we are going to see an end to the season? And if not, how do you think it's going to be decided? Oh, this again <laughs> is another frustration that we we knew going into this season there was a chance we wouldn't finish it. We knew it could be disrupted again. We knew we could go into another lockdown. How we have started this season without drawing up rules for what will happen should it finish early is is remarkable we, we part of the problem over the summer in fact a huge amount of the problem over the summer was there was nothing in place to decide what we do if the season doesn't finish it was the kind of you know almost unsolvable problem wasn't it for for the fa and for everyone else how you do it and we ended up with null and void and points per game and all this lobbying back and forward nobody wants that situation again but we've started the season without anything in place to say what's going to happen so I understand last night the FA had a meeting with, with some leagues at step five and step six and said that they're going to start consulting and, and speak to clubs and do an informal survey, things like that, to try and work out 
is it a case of not avoid again if that happens or is it a case of okay we go for points per game but we go points per game if we get past 50% of the season 70% of the season you know there needs to be a threshold because you can't you can't relegate a team after three games have been played on points per game you need some level of games having been played so I think they're going to look at it and hopefully introduce something I maybe the National League have, have kind of set the stall out now for how they're going to do it because it's how they did it last season. It'd be a bit weird if the National League got 90% complete and then decided to null and void this season, having gone with points per game last season. Um, but I think my chief frustration is we started and again, we haven't got a plan. Um, do I think we're going to finish? I've got visions of clubs having to play 12 games in six days in early May to get a season finished because we haven't even got into, you know, the winter and waterlogged pitches yet. And we're already kind of feeling quite congested in terms of fixtures. Um, more and more, you look up the fixture list and, yeah, there's games called off due to COVID, isn't there? Especially in, you know, Northern Premier League and leagues like that. So it's going to be a struggle, isn't it? I think, I think, I think we will get there if we don't have to introduce more measures or, a, you know, a tier four that means sport has to stop or fans have to stop attending games. I think we might muddle through... Or as a country, we might muddle through to November, do a two-week circuit breaker. Yes, sport would stop for two weeks, and then we kind of go back to how we are and muddle through the winter, maybe. I think we'll get there, but I think there is a very real chance we won't as well. So you're sitting on the fence? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> the problem is, the more people you... The more people you speak to and the more clubs, it's the same with, you know, at the moment, the, the National League funding. The more clubs you speak to, the more you realise that there are two sides to every argument, I guess. And it's, it, you, maybe you have sympathy more for one side of the argument than the other. Like, again, like the National League funding, I've probably got more sympathy for you, you clubs like Hereford who feel hard done by. But I do also see the other side of it, that clubs would also feel quite hard done by if... Clubs that are already kind of big boys in their leagues, like your Herefords and whatever, suddenly they're getting 20 times the funding you are if you're a, you know, a Curzon yeah. Ashton or a Bradford Parker. You know, I can understand already they would also look at that and think, well, we're already up against it in this league before, you know, before that. Um, and on top of that, actually, if you look at, say, a club at Notts County, sorry to just go back to this again. No, that's all right. They, they can also, they are also making some revenue from streaming. I know it isn't getting anywhere near covering the cost of, you know, gate receipts and lost gate receipts, but there is also that element of it that the clubs with a bigger fan base are also still in quite a good position to have sold a load of season tickets that they're not all, you know, not everyone that bought a season ticket wants it refunded. There's crowdfunding pages that, you know, they are making money elsewhere from that, those fan bases as well. So, you know, they're still not doing well. No one is doing well out of this, but, you know, fans are also feeding back into it. And they're, they're not saying, right, we'll give you £10 for every fan you've got, but you've got to give us all your streaming revenue back. You know, they are there is ways yeah. of making money as well on top of that. And there's also a headache for the league and there has been for clubs like like Ebbsfleet United, who you could look at and say, well, they had this attendance last season, but they've been relegated. So would that attendance have dropped? Probably would have done. Kings Lynn, Wildston being promoted, so their attendance would have gone up. There's There's a lot of kind of you know grey areas and confusion as well and it, it was never going to be an easy decision for them but I'm not completely sure it's quite quite right the, the formula they've come up with anyway Ollie thank you ever so much for coming on the Premier Non-League podcast and hopefully we'll speak to you soon absolutely my pleasure
The Premier Non-League Podcast. Part two there of uh, Ollie Bayliss and Peter Bale. Uh, Pete meets Ollie, and that was a fantastic uh, interview. So thanks, Pete. Uh, he's always such a good egg, Ollie Bayliss. I mean, I'm I'm constantly looking at his updates on Twitter. I know Johnny, you 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 said he's a, a real good egg for the non-league. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, some of the information that he was coming out with, um, especially when it was sort of touch and go with fans coming back. Um, very informative, really, really good guy. And uh, I think a lot of the guys at, at, uh, in non-league will follow him just to sort of get any tidbits. And um, yeah, no, really good guy. I think, I think the good thing about him as well is when you're interviewing him, you don't really have to ask him that much. You just lead him on a point and, and off he will trot and give you, you know, a totally honest, totally honest answer. No, it's, it's really good. And thank you, Ollie. And you're welcome back again anytime. And I'm sure we'll we'll get him back on very soon to have an update. It'll be nice for every few weeks to get him on air. But joining us now is FA Cup Round 1 proper Norva correspondent, we can call you now, Chris uh, from the Mariners podcast, Cell Shields. Chris, uh, you've been down the club watching the result tonight of the FA Cup draw. Happy, mate, or so-so? So-so. Uh, could have been better, could have been worse. It is what it is. You know, Cheltenham away is a... It's a long journey, so it's going to be, I would imagine, an overnight stay for the players and management. Um, the thing that got me, I, I just thought that the actual draw tonight was very poor um, in, in terms of announcing on TV, no fans at all. And then you've got that girl making a complete arse of it. Um, it was uh, it was pretty average and amateurish, it has to be said. But... Um, the draw itself, for South Shields' perspective, it's a winnable game in many respects. Uh, yep, um, Cheltenham are flying high, as it were, in League Two. But we've just taken care of FC Halifax, who, you know, not so long ago were in a playoff to get into League Two. So um, it's certainly a a winnable game as far as South Shields are concerned. They'll be, they'll be. Um, I think the players will be pleased with the draw. Not so sure about the supporters. I think the players won't mind taking on Cheltenham. Well, it does show that, you know, it looks like you've got the sort of players and the club and the squad to manage to sort of hold it up in the higher leagues and the non-league system at least. And, you know, and Cheltenham will be a massive test for you. If you could have had one of those teams, what who would your ideal draw have been? I mean, I said to you in the WhatsApp group, I would have loved to have seen Sunderland versus South Shields. I think that would have been a real good team. That would have been well on TV and a really good draw to watch. Yeah. But you personally, what would you love to have seen? I just... Had there been fans allowed in, Sunderland, of course, because either you're going to sell out at home or you're going to probably sell out away, um, even though it's 40-odd thousand. Um, I, I, it would catch the imagination of the Northeast football supporter, regardless of what team you supported. Um, without fans, I just wanted something that would catch the imagination, which Sunderland was one of them, but you, you want something where a Northern Premier League club up against a... a, 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 a Top end League One club, a Portsmouth, an Ipswich, a Charlton, uh, your club, of course. Thanks for getting that in there, by the way, because I was just worried you were going to forget us out of a top not, uh, League One club. Because uh, as, as we know, we are better than Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield and all that. But it just, <laughs> a league, it's just like makes a difference, you know. It's, uh, leagues are just a number and stuff or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, something that would catch imagination where you kind of you knew you were, you know, ninety five percent certain of being televised. Just being televised is where you make your money. You know, and so a home, a home draw um, with something that would automatically kind of get you televised would be what you look for. But I think the players will will be relishing the opportunity to play Cheltenham. 
any team, I think South Shields' problem at the moment is in the league, teams will come to Shields and spoil and then will put, you know, a bank of five and a bank of four and, and say, right, you've got 90 minutes to try and break us down. Where on Saturday in, in, against Halifax, you've got a team from two leagues above coming to have a game of football rather than just parking the bus. It made for a great spectacle and Shields do have a lot of quality. Um, and that showed totally, totally, in many respects, totally outclassed Halifax, um, which is no disrespect to them. They, you know, they, they are no bad side, and the and Shields played very, very well against them. So, the Shields players, I'm sure, will be relishing the chance to take on Cheltenham Town. No, I think yeah, I been... watched. You. So, so, sorry, James. I um, I watched you your highlights, Chris, with your commentary the other day. I've caught up with a few of your um, games now. Um, as I said, I said earlier in the podcast uh, before you joined, um, that you, you know you're you're a team that makes quite a few chances, but you don't yeah. always you don't always finish them. And I think that's probably been your downfall in the league so far this season from the highlights that I've seen. Um, but Saturday, I, you know, I thought our second goal, I can't remember his name, uh, but uh, absolutely excellent finish with aplomb. Yeah. And as, as you mentioned in, in the commentary uh, at the end of the game, that those 300 fans made mm. a racket, didn't they? They did. I, I mean, we've only had, so the, fir- the, 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 the first home game, we were allowed 600. And then our local... FA, Durham FA and local council in their wisdom decided to cut it to 300 and um, it's been difficult, really tough but um, because the, uh, we have to give away teams um, 15% of the tickets there have been games where there's actually only been 250 Shields fans in and because Halifax are classed as elite um, they weren't allowed supporters, so there was a full 300, and they really made themselves heard. Uh, it was a great atmosphere, um, bizarrely, because, it, I mean, last Tuesday, which was the local derby against Morbeck Town, where you would get 2,000 on a Tuesday night, it was really flat. And um, it, was, it was just a great day. It was, a, it was an FA Cup day. It was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was a little bit more of the magic of the Cup. Um, and it was wonderful to commentate on, and um, it'll live long in the memory because um, it's the first time since 1973 that a South Shields team have been in the first round, and I wasn't even born, so um, um, I was born not long after, but I wasn't born at that time, and uh, it's just wonderful. It's just a shame, you know, no fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And the other thing with your commentary is you don't get as excited as James does, though, when he's co commentating for me. He must get very excited because um, I have to say, I have to rein myself in. Um, to be honest, Pete, though, it's normally when I just start shouting at the opposition players and getting aggy. Like, <laughs> I, I, need, I get too wound up, and it's really, I'm trying to sort of that fine line between being a fan and a commentator. Yeah. So, we, we, yeah, we played, we played a team last season that, uh, what one of our, our players got fouled, and the opposition goalkeeper ran 30, 30 yards 
to sort of bend over and, sh- and shout in his face. And James was going absolutely mental on the market. Like, Get back in your goal. What are you doing there? And then five minutes later, we scored and then we ended up winning. Actually, wasn't that against Chesson or something? I'm pretty sure it was, wasn't it? Or something like that, I think. Something, something like that. But it was funny. It was funny. Anyway, without... We uh, can we so add that? We try to be as unbiased as possible. We try. It's impossible, but we try to be as unbiased as possible. You've got to try, haven't you? You have got to try. Without further ado, guys, we've got uh, Chris Dixon, who currently plays for Hornchurch, which uh, is one of the only teams that um, really sort of put a hiding onto Worthing last season. And I think Pete and me were there, and you know, this is before we did all the commentary and stuff. But if we had been on commentary, that would have been a game where I was probably screaming at our own players because we lost 6-0 uh, with a Chris Dixon hat-trick. And I did take him to task over that. So we'll play part one for you now. But uh, myself and Trevor, who, as you've heard, isn't on the line tonight, we spoke to Chris earlier today. Fascinating insight into his career. But here's part one of this interview. Are you PNLP? We're really pleased to be joined on the Premier Non-League podcast by the one and only Chris Dixon. Chris, how are you doing, mate? Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Evening, gentlemen. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, obviously, we've seen you as we were chatting off air. You put three past my own team, Worthing, last season, which I, I can't really forgive you about, but I'll just forgive <laughs> you for this moment, OK? We'll just look at the final league standings that never actually happened. But, uh, obviously, um, how has it been since, obviously, we locked down over summer? Like, what was Hornchurch up, up there with Worthing at the end of last season? So, how was the season ended and what were your feelings about the whole lockdown and the ending of the season as it was? Um, I mean, obviously, it was really abrupt. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was untimely. It. it I felt like, obviously, as far as Worthing were ahead, we still had an opportunity and a chance to try and catch up at home church. Um, but the powers that be obviously said that it's not. It's not going to end. And obviously, it didn't feel good um, for them to null and void the whole season because obviously you're putting all that work over the over the course of the season and pre-season, and, and then suddenly all of a sudden. Everything comes to an end, but I mean, what can you do? I mean, the whole world's going through it, and I guess in the in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's fo- it's football. But yeah. obviously, yeah, for us personally, it wasn't it wasn't nice. So after after it was all curtailed, um, how did Hornchurch sort of spend the summer? Like, were you in regular touch? Did you do some sort of light work in the parks? Like I know some non-league clubs have done. Um, so no, we didn't. We actually we we tried to keep going until we got the, uh, the the official announcement. And then um, in the summer, I, I genuinely obviously run my own CAD P, um, personal training business called CAD PT. So I was on online doing live, live workouts every day anyway. So I, I was naturally staying fit. Um, obviously then we went into another form of lockdown where we couldn't obviously engage with people. So that was, that was pretty difficult. But I, I, I'm, I'm a naturally, I want to be naturally fit. I have to be actively doing something all the time. So luckily for me, I mean, it didn't hinder, hinder me coming coming back um, as such. But I know that obviously if, if other boys who didn't, who don't, who aren't personal trainers or who, are, who have, have office jobs and whatnot, it might be a little bit more difficult for them to stay actively fit. And obviously you've got other responsibilities. You might have kids at home. You want, you, it's just so many different things you could be, that, that you've got to do. And staying stay fit isn't your priority as such, especially in that in this current um, pandemic. Yeah, of course. I mean, so so you come back and you've obviously felt well at the beginning of the season. How yeah. the season started for Hornchurch this year? 
Um, I came back and I was flying pre-season. Pre-season, yeah. I was absolutely flying. And then literally, the last game of pre-season, I picked up a little knock, um, injured, my ten- injured a tendon in my foot. Don't know how, not even, don't, don't even remember it happening. So um, I missed the f- a couple game, first couple games. Um, and obviously, it plays in your mind a little bit in regards to just picking up any sort of injury. But luckily for, um, I say, the last, say, six games or so, I've hit the ground running now and I'm back, back to normal business. And for us, at home church has been a bit indifferent. Um, we've we've chopped and changed a few things. Um, I'd, I'd say we are back on track, but we it's now it's now a bit of a catch up game. I mean, the season doesn't really come to life until first 10, 15 games, and it starts you start to see who's really going to be up there. But you still got to keep yourself in and amongst it. So I think we've hit that we, we we haven't started well, but we're a little bit more better on track now. Well, you are seeing some of the teams like, you know, you've seen teams like Horsham and Bogler down by us that we always love giving a bit of stick and banter to. And um, yeah. they, they've sort of, you've seen the last few matches, they've been coming up, climbing up the table. So, you know, it's so early, any league, what you play in, you can't sort of really tell now, but, you know, obviously strong start and, you know, catching up, hopefully by this sort of famous Christmas time. Or yeah. Hopefully we know that that's the time because we don't know how long the season's going to go on for with oh, everything, uh, for lockdowns, everything like that. Um, but yeah, I look forward to hopefully seeing you down Woodside Road when um, hopefully we can sort of be playing there again. Because I'm not sure if you've heard that we're relaying our pitch. So oh, uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of we're playing at Horsham's ground at the moment. So it's a little bit weird. So I'm not sure when we're actually playing Hornchurch at home. But uh, fingers crossed we, we can. We've got there. you last game of the season because funnily enough, that's we one one of the first fixtures we looked we looked out yeah. for when, when the fixture list came out. So actually, we've got you last game of the season. So at your, at your side, place, you know, or is it our place? Oh, there you go. Oh, mate, that was going to be... Uh, well, well, hopefully, maybe we'll be celebrating in the bar with... <laughs> so I don't think you'll be coming in if we were celebrating, but, you know, never know. You never know. Anyway, we talked about the, the present day um, and obviously being on the podcast, what we've done with the other footballers we've had on, we'd just love to hear about your story and like where, how you've come and your career and what you've done now. So Trevor's going to start us off and he's going to go through your um, sort of career history and, you know, we'll butt in every so often some, tell us some sort of funny stories and, you know, bits and bobs about you. Just just be completely open and nice. It's, it's just fantastic yeah. to hear, Chris. No problem. You're the first out of the three guys I've had on so far that have gone full circle from non-league to football league and to non-league again. Um, how how much change yeah. do you think it is from when you obviously left in 2007 to head to Charlton to what you can see now when you go to play games? Um, I'm a lot older. <laughs> I'm a lot older, but um, I mean, the, 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 the hardest change probably was... was um, coming back to non-league and readapting, yeah. readapting because there, and but because there was a lot of players who were coming up up through the ranks who who were basically going through the journey that I'd I'd gone through. So there were still younger players learning the game, learning the trade, and it was trying to pass on my knowledge and influence them as to what the right and the wrong things to do to get to where you need to get to or obviously on what's going to affect you so i think that was the hardest part obviously kind of going to the heights that i've gone to and then obviously coming back to non-league um when you're on your way up it's it, it it's just a journey that you just don't don't see it coming um and it, it happened for me literally i mean i was 22 when i turned pro and it just happened in the blink of an eye and then before you know it you're you're, you're playing in front of thousands of fans then there's international call-ups and next thing you know, you're playing Europa League, Champions League, travelling all over the place, playing in China, Cyprus. It's just, it's been an absolute whirlwind of a journey. Um, but like I said, coming back down, 
it's it's then obviously trying to pass on that knowledge and all that experience and and letting other people know that listen i've done the, i've done the journey i've served the time as such that like, it can be done but this is what you've got to do to get there and, and i have and i have made i've made countless mistakes along the way so certain but but it's all been part of the experience do you think it's a little bit more sort of professional um than it was back in 2007 as as the games moved on at the top level and underneath that it's also moved on in non-league as well yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel that it's, it's, it's almost like a um, domino effect as such because when big clubs from the Prem come down to the championship, it's like, well, hold on, hold on a second, the championship is, is, a, is a massive league now. And it's, and, it, and it's happened literally with other clubs going from championships to League One, League One, League Two. Suddenly you're seeing big clubs in the conference. And, so, and, and also the same thing with players. A lot of players start getting older. They start they, they start maybe having different reasons as to why they, they don't can't play at that level or they don't want to play at that level or they want to maybe play more locally or and end up curtailing down into 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 non-league and they bring their experience and their level of professionalism to the non-league circuit. So it all comes in hand in hand and and I think it benefits the non-league circuit a lot more a lot more as long as obviously the players stay professional, of course. Of course, now. Prolific is probably the word we'd use to describe you, Irith and Belvedere and Dulwich, um, which obviously then got you your, your move to Charlton. How much did you enjoy your time at those two clubs before you then made that step up? Um, Irith and Belvedere was it was was as such my, my my birthright as such. You know, in regards to it was it was the time in my career where I got to learn a lot about myself and a lot about what the game was all about without me even recognizing that there were pro levels as such. I used to see, I used to watch it on the television. I used to, I used to see players in there and there was times I used to look and think, I could do that. But I didn't actually know how to get to that level or whether it's even achievable. Um, but um, I, uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from experienced players who have actually played pro. Darren Adams, I remember, he was he was a Cardiff City striker at one point, and I played with him at Post Soji was another one. Um, so it, it, I learned a lot from other players, but then obviously moved by moving to. I also learned the the, the bad side, the, the, the bad side of the game in regards to the politics behind 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 closed doors. Um, I had that with. Um, a certain manager at Irish Belvedere, which did a, which actually benefited me because. Luckily, there was a, a, a mole as such, which to this day, I'll never, ever reveal his name, but he knew the Dulwich Hamlet manager. So I was ultimately moving up a league to a level that obviously I felt like I could play at anyway, and they believed I could play at. And Dulwich was just literally was a whirlwind. Literally, I was there on, I was there on loan for the back end of one season, scored six in six. I came back there the next season signed, and signed. I didn't even complete the season. I was, I was obviously on my way to Charlton by March. So obviously, being a Charlton fan myself, as you know, as we said, I'm from the South London area. I have to get it in there, Trevor. You know, it's not <laughs> to ask to be to Charlton. Yeah, Chris. Obviously, from going from the non league up to Charlton, was it the year we'd been re- relegated from the Premier League that you joined? I think it was, wasn't it? So, unfortunately, it was. Um, initially, I, there was whispers going around in January that I was gonna, I was gonna get a move to go pro. Um, I, the, sto- the story goes that people were sniffing around, and I remember around, around the turn of the year, the manager gets them coming up to me and saying, "You never know who's watching. You never know who's watching." And I, I didn't, I didn't actually take any any of it on board. I was just enjoying playing my football, and I was you know, having fun. I was obviously working at the time, doing nine to five. So, and 
and literally football was my getaway. It was for me to just go and have fun, score goals, um, meet up with the boys, good camaraderie, and and then, and then back on Monday, back in the office. Um, but I kept on, obviously the manager gets on, kept on going on at me. And then I remember I got injured in January, which is probably half the reason why we didn't end up um, doing a the deal then. Um, and I think come by March, we were playing, I'll never forget this, we were playing Godalm in town <laughs> away from home. Uh, we won 2-0, but I didn't score. And the manager pulls me in the office, um, pulls me on the coach, sorry, and says to me, um, we've had an offer from Hastings United, we're going to take it. So I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, they want you £750. I said, £750? I said, I don't know about all of that. that that's not going to happen with me, mate. And he was like, no, 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 we're going to take it. So I was like, no, 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 you've got to be joking. And then he turns around to me and says, well, actually, Charlton Athletic are coming for you. And I'm like, Charlton Athletic? <laughs> now, you've got to be joking. Surely you're going to be joking. And literally, that was it. It literally, I was on, on trial of Charlton for the next week. You must be your boyhood dream play professional football and you got your chance with Charlton. How did it feel? Like when obviously you said on the coach, you said Charlton coming for you and then obviously went on trial there. What, what was the feeling? What was going around your head? And, you know, how was it? What was the experience like? Um, I just remember walking into the, into the changing room um, and seeing players that I've watched TV for years. Romadale, uh, Matt Holland. I could name names upon names. Darren Ben, Darren Ambrose. Just, just player upon player. And just be, especially with Jimmy, I remember having to like earn his respect mm. as such. Like he, it was like, I couldn't just walk up to him and say, oh, it's going with Jimmy. Like it was literally like, he would, look at, he would look at me and say like, who are you? Like you like, need to come and like greet me properly or something like that. So it was, um, it was mind blowing in that, in, that, in that sense. But at the same time, um, I just remember just having um, a sense of adrenaline because I didn't, I didn't take it as, as, oh, this is my shot. This is my chance. I just took it as, well, I'm going to be playing football for a local team and we'll see how it goes. I also obviously knew that there were other clubs that were interested, interested in me at the time. So I didn't feel that much pressure on me. But I do remember there was one, um, no, leading up to our, the, the, the friendly game that we had, played Fulham. And I remember, I just remember playing against them and just being told, just go and do what you've been doing all season. And it just, it just came naturally. And I'll never forget, and I always give him credit for this, Kevin Lisby played up front with me and made it unbelievably easy. For, for, for me to play in that game because literally just he played a totally different game to what he usually played and allowed me to go and play my game which was obviously going in behind all the time and I remember scoring two goals Alan Pardew pulling me out gave me a massive handshake and I was like okay so <laughs> does that mean I got a deal <laughs> um, and then literally by the, by the end of the week they'd offer me a contract um, I remember going into work um, on the Monday and just saying Sorry, guys. See you later. And li literally, yeah. And then, I'm, and then, and I'll never forget my first, one of my first training sessions. I, I'm, I'm a confident character anyway, so I used to probably walk around with a bit more bravado than I did, did have, have any clout for. And literally, one of the training sessions we put on, and I put on, and I didn't know what was going on. If I'm honest with you, I was running around, there was balls coming in from everywhere, and I didn't know what was going on. And he stopped the session and said, hey, let's all laugh at a non-league kid. <laughs> and he brought me down and humbled me very, very quickly because it made me realise, yeah, you're in a different environment now and you can't walk around like you're, you're, you're a big shot. You can have an air of confidence, which you have to have, but you need to understand that this is the big boys now. So there's no time for, there's no running past defenders and saying, yeah, I'm going to score two today or yeah, I'm the man. None of that. 
that literally they know will humble you very very quickly and they, and and it was a good humbling experience. Did you sort of think as well, Chris? You got Jimmy Floyd, you got Darren Ben, you got Kevin Lisby, and obviously you walked into training that morning, and, and then you look at them and you think, how the hell am I going to get in in front of these guys? I've come from Dulwich Hamlet. <laughs> I definitely thought thought felt like what's going on, like how am I training with these players? But at the same time, I had a lot of players who were around the same age group as me, right? And they made it easy for me as well because we all kind of. Got on, uh, got on, and we all had the same things in common. So Jerome Thomas, Lloyd Sam, Osei Sankofan, James Walker, Miles Weston, we all kind of had something in common. And luckily, I knew Miles outside of Charlton as well. So it was, it was, it, I blended in pretty easy with this with the group. But because of that age group, but the, the big boy players, it was a lot more daunting. Herman Horizon used to terrorize oh, yeah. me almost every day. Um, <laughs> uh, but and I remember the last game of the season we played Liverpool. And I just said to the manager, I asked the manager if I could come up. And because and, I'd never been on an away trip and I wasn't, uh, and because I'd signed outside of the transfer window, I, I, I wasn't eligible to play, which I, I was fuming about because I obviously want to, you want to play in the Prem. You signed the Prem, you want to play in the Prem. And I remember we had, we're on away trips, you've got to do, you've got, if you're your first away trip, you've got, to, you've got to sing a song and then yeah. an, an initiation as such. Yeah. So the boy what pressured me. What oh. song? Come on. So you think, don't have to give us a sample, but like, just tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I, did my, I, did my, I did my own rendition of Michael Jackson's um, Leave Me Alone. Okay. I aimed it at Herman Horizon. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. Do you know the thing is though, Chris, is that right now you see you're like following all the players on social media. Obviously, I've got, uh, still with being a child, I've got Johnny Williams and um, he always yeah. is filming the players doing their like intro and like their sort of yeah. to the club. And, you know, at least back then you didn't really have the sort of like, you had the odd camera on the phone but it wasn't going to be as good quality like it is now but he puts it straight yeah. on his instagram so you'll never live it down nowadays but literally literally i'm i'm so glad there's some, there's some things back then that i did that <laughs> i definitely regret and i'm so glad that obviously we don't live in that era we didn't live in that era because right now social media everything is documented there's not a thing that does, yeah. that, that gets missed yeah. But Herman Horizon putting me in a headlock and telling me to sing was definitely something <laughs> I would not want to be put out on social media. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I'm now going to talk to you about some of the loan spells you had because you had some really successful times away from Charlton at other clubs at the, uh, throughout the same period. Could you sort of like put your finger on, Chris, why those loan spells were successful, but going back to Charlton, you just couldn't seem to be as, you know, hit the net as often as you were when you were away. A lot of people will say I wasn't given the opportunities. And when I was given opportunities, something would always come up. So for instance, when I when I literally came back, I went I went away to Gillingham, I got called back for call back, I had an amazing time at Gillingham. It was an incredible experience. Like Gillingham was Gillingham came off the back of crew. Crew was probably the worst experience I could have ever had in regards to I decided I wanted to be away from London, away from home. I wanted to kind of see stuff, if I'm honest, and I wasn't focused on football when I got there. So when I got to crew, I was supposed to be there for a, for a month um, and I ended up being there for three weeks, got sent back. And then I, I came back, got a rollicking from Alan Pardew, absolutely rollicking. And he literally told me in no uncertain terms, I'm going to choose our next move. And I was like, okay. So he said to me, look, you can go to Millwall or you can go to Gillingham. Obviously being, if I'm, he said Millwall, you got to do with the crew. <laughs> he was real honest with me. He said, look, you're a black boy down at Millwall, it might not turn out as pretty as it has at crew. <laughs> so we're going to send you down to Jill's. 
I don't know if the Charlton fans would have forgiven you for going Millwall either. That as well, probably. That as well, probably. (laughs) So I ended up going down to um, Jill's, and it didn't start off as great as it's as as everyone as it as it turned out. I had if you're Nora as my caretaker manager at the time, and I'll be honest with you, me going there thinking, happy days, like striker, black manager. I'm laughing, like, like, yeah, we're good, like we connect. Not at all. Oh. Not at all. Didn't 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 connect at all. And it took for me to play in the Johnson's paint trophy game, where he just threw threw in all the boys that hadn't really played, for me to score a hat trick in that, for him to turn around and say, for all the fans to basically pressure him to say, We got this striker from the league above, bang we can bang goals like that, and we've got him sitting on the bench because we were getting tough, we were getting bumped at Gillingham. And luckily from that day onwards. I just played every game and hit the back of the net most most games. But the thing about coming back to Charlton was obviously I, got, I came back to Charlton and I played in the FA Cup, came off the bench, scored in the FA Cup against yeah. West Brom. And literally, I think I was really knocking on the door at that point. I wasn't told this because the team wasn't selected. But I remember we had Stoke at home. And I remember we went to the, we went to the hotel and everyone was saying, Dick, are you going to get a start tonight? I literally was walking into the hotel. Lloyd Sam tried to play a trick on me on my trainers or something. <laughs> and I turned around and my knee popped. And that was it. Oh. And then guess who scores a winning goal against Stoke? Lloyd Sam. Lloyd Sam. <laughs> so literally, and that was me. That was and my you're still, you're still friends with him. <laughs> <laughs> Is that just because uh, he's got a nice good. apartment we're in Miami? Good. That's we're why. Still, we're, we're still, we're still good. We're still good. But I, I, I was fuming. I, I was fuming. Uh, obviously, it, was ending, it, was, it ended my season. Whilst it obviously ended my season, um, I never really got opportunities to come back and, and make it happen, which was obviously frustrating as well. So. For some reason, anytime I went away, I hit the ground running, did really well, come back to Charlton and just wasn't really given a chance. I, 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 sucked. I remember those games at Charlton where we played like, I think we played Yeovil and the fans were chanting in the stands, like bring on Chris Dixon and they just didn't want to do it. And for whatever reason, I don't know whether it's because we weren't doing so well in the league and our strikers were obviously maybe earning more money than me. They were obviously the their club maybe spent more money for them than it for me. So it was like keep giving them the opportunity. But what didn't really work out. And for some reason, every time I went away, I'd score. I mean, it's a it's a I've got many regrets in football, but a minor regret would be obviously one, obviously not not being able to play in the Prem, but definitely not being able to do more for Charlton because scoring two FA Cup goals isn't really isn't really much. You don't get remembered, you don't get remembered for it. And I'd have liked to have had more, more of an impact. But to temper that, during that time, though, two caps for your country, for Ghana. Would you say that's the biggest highlight of your career or one of the biggest highlights? Equally, definitely one of the biggest highlights. I get called up for Ghana um, off the back of my Jinnam loan spell. And for some strange reason, at some one point, I was the only international player at, at Charlton. So right. I'm, we're in training and obviously everyone's talking about, obviously we're going to be all going away from international duty, but there's no one going away over than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Lloyd got a call up as well. And Lloyd, and Lloyd got a call up as well. And they said, no, nah, they're, they're, they're not letting Lloyd go. But they sent me and obviously oh. everyone, the laughing joke was, oh, one player that's got, got the international call up isn't even in the Charlton team. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Two caps for Ghana. Who did you play against those two games? Tanzania, in Tanzania. And Zambia, which was actually a Leonore ground. So all my family came to come, come and watch that. Come and watch that. Oh, awesome. um, that must have been was, a proud moment for you. For my dad, massively. So my dad was over the moon because he saw me rubbing shoulder with big big players. So yeah. Suleiman Tari, Michael Essien, Junior Gogo, Stephen Apia. He, he, my dad was literally that. Oh my God, <laughs> Sons of Blackstone. It's unbelievable. 
wow. It was just, again, something that when you start, when you come into the game and you rub shoulders with Jimmy Fred Hasselbanks and it just became a norm kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, definitely representing Ghana was huge, was massive. And obviously, I'll be honest here, I was starstruck by players like Sully and Michael Essien. Again, people like Junior Gogo, Quincy Owusu Bay, they made it normal for me. They made it very, very comfortable for me. So, because they talked to me like, we're boys. And I'm like, you guys are big players. <laughs> like, like, I'm in all of you. Like, and they're looking at me like, nah, you're one of us. And I'm like, okay, then, like, no problem, cool. The Premier Non-League Podcast. Part one of uh, Chris Dixon's interview there with myself and Trevor. Uh, a really, really thorough and really enjoyable interview to do. So part two coming up shortly. Um, FA Cup, as we said earlier on, Chris, before you joined us, obviously you're now, a part, as a non-league sort of representative, you're now the only one on the group that has got a team in the FA Cup first round proper. As I hate that word proper, as we did say earlier, mm-hmm. because I think first qualifying round's proper. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, that's another story. So as, as Pete said, and Pete sort of had a bit of a frustrating rant earlier about the rule changes, what do you think about now the extra time rule and the fact that, you can postpone for COVID despite the fact other teams in the qualifying rounds have now lost out because of those rule changes. You should never change rules during a competition. As you say, the first round of qualifying is the first round of the FA Cup. Again, it smacks of um, elitism. And um, I, I don't agree with that. If, if the first qualifying round went straight to penalties and the first round inverted commas proper should go straight to penalties as well because otherwise it, 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 it makes a mockery of the, of the competition itself the the rule about um uh, not no longer having to forfeit if you have covid positive again shouldn't be happening and um, that it shouldn't it shouldn't change just because of the fact now it's you've got um the elite coming in uh, although saying that it might stop clubs potentially playing the COVID card because in the northeast on a couple of forums that I'd seen this evening straight after the draw there was talk of the fact that because there's no prize money if you get beat because there's no supporters allowed in the grounds there's no way of making any money it's actually going to cost some it will cost some clubs to take part in the first round so people were saying wonder if clubs will just play the COVID card and, and just drop out, which would be a travesty. But of course, now that um, th- there's no f- forfeiture and you, you get like a two-week cooling off period and still play the game, it's going to cost clubs to play in the first round of the FA Cup, which is just criminal. Uh, so potentially, if you look at South Shields as, a, as, a, as the uh, example, they're probably going to travel to Cheltenham Town Say the game was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. They'll be travelling to Cheltenham on the Friday afternoon, stay overnight. I do believe that half of the costs will be incurred by the home club. Um, Shields won't have to pay the full cost, but at the same time, if Shields lose that game, it will cost them money. Um, that can't be right. It just can't be right. Somewhere, so again, it just smacks of. Elitism. Um, I, I don't agree with the changing of rules in a competition. It's as if it's as if you're saying the FA Cup doesn't start until the first round, and that is just wrong. When you've got all this 
faffing yeah. about on TV saying, you know, 500 games already in the competition. Yeah, it's, it, it is ludicrous. And it, go, it, it goes back to in, the integrity of a competition. Like we yeah. said, uh, when we had your chairman on to one of our Rebel Yell podcasts that we do for Worthing, yeah. we had your chairman on talking about the null and void decision. Um, and again, it was the integrity of the competition yeah. was spoiled because they've done it for every other league mm. apart, apart from our own. So, yeah. you know, you've, you've got to have integrity in sport. And, the, you know, so, some of it is definitely getting lost at the moment with, with the FA. Absolutely. The other thing is the fact that um, I can understand why the decision's been made to have no fans because of the fact that different areas are in different tiers. Different clubs are at different levels with different amounts of support allowed in or not allowed in. I can understand that. But at the same time, you're changing the rules again. So you, to not allow supporters in any game, um, I, I would like to think that the FA would consult with the clubs and say, right, how much would you lose because there's no fans allowed in? It's not going to happen. But, but again, there's the integrity. You're changing rules during a competition. Can't be right. But I think, I was thinking this earlier and I hadn't mentioned it, but do you think they maybe should have used the FA Cup as a trial for letting fans in? It's a perfect opportunity for getting the leagues, for getting the EFL, for getting the national, everything like that. They could have given clubs the opportunity on the different scales to let fans in and trial it out. Because if it works successfully and there's no reported cases of COVID, it's a good trial base to then go forward and say, right, hang on, we had all these rounds of matches. There's been no trap and trace at these grounds. We could go forward now and have some matches at mm. professional or, you know, league level. Because as Chris has said in his interview, that without the fans, especially higher up, there's just nothing. There's nothing. Uh, um, to your point there, I think that's what they expected step three down to be as a, as a trial. Uh, um, I mean, we're showing that we can get 600 fans in, 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 uh, in, the, in step three here. Why the hell can't we get 600 fans in at step two and step one or even more? And do we know if there's been any track or trace cases at non-league ground yet? Because I certainly haven't heard of any. I might be no. wrong. I don't want to say no. out there, put my neck on the line here and say there hasn't been, but I would have thought it would have been publicised in the papers or Ollie Bayliss, for example. Well, the thing yeah. is, you've, you've, got the, you've got the track and trace system now. When we go into any ground, most people are scanning the app that they've got on the phone. Okay, I'd say the majority of people are. The rest of them are leaving their names and phone numbers. Um, so, and I've been to quite a few games so far this season, not just involving Worthing, involving other clubs. I've also been up to the Midlands to watch a game. Um, and no, no alerts, no, no, no nothing. I never said a track and trace doesn't work. But, you know, we, I've had no alerts or anything like that, travelling quite a few miles around the country to, to follow teams. No, it is true. I've had two alerts. And each time they've come back and said, nothing to worry about. It was only a soft signal. See you later, sort of thing. I think the one thing I want to put up hope is, is, in, in, um, is the, the, the absurdity of it all is um, Lancaster City, who play in the same division as us, who are in Tier 3 lockdown, um, are allowed 600 in their ground where we are only allowed three and we're, we're not in tier three. So it, 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 it's, um, it's just, it's still a mess. Mm -hmm. We could go on all night, which we haven't got time for, but <laughs> t 
tonight has just reiterated just where we are, which is we're no further forward than where we were in March. So what's the reason for you only being allowed 300 in your ground? Durham FA and South Tyneside Council have, but particularly Durham FA, Durham FA and Northumberland FA, they're the two, the, the two regional FA councils. They have decided that um, they would restrict to 300. Um, for, and their take on it is that it's, it's working. You know, there's because there's been no there's been no alerts, there's been no track and trace alerts. It's obviously working in places like Lancaster, who are allowed 600. You know, they, they are going into tier three, so um, <laughs> bound. Surely, even if it's right, for, either we've we've had no cases. We'll have 400 this this month, and next mm. month we'll go to 500 if there's no cases. It makes no sense at all, does it? It makes you want to get on a plane to somewhere like Cyprus, like Chris Dixon did, and find out part <laughs> two right now. See what I did there. <laughs> Are you PNLP? Yamas, I should say, really. You spent quite a lot of your career in Cyprus. What brought that move about? I mean, are you fluent in Greek now as well? Kalinita, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a few words I can say here and there. Kalinera, you know, No, so basically, child contract ended and I just wanted to change the scene. For some reason, for me, I've always wanted to change the scenery. I've always felt like when I start something new again, I get that adrenaline rush and it's, and, and it's and almost like there's a new audience to, to perform to. With that being said, I ended up going to Cyprus. The Cyprus offer came out of the blue. Lenny Lawrence contacted my agent, explained the situation. I went to Cyprus to have a look. A humbling effect that I probably needed at the time because I was probably a bit on my high horse in regards to I played in England at championship level, league one level, and, and maybe thought I've arrived, I can play, I can, I'm can. i going to get a deal anywhere. And, I, and the deals weren't falling on, at my feet in the UK. Cypriot um, offer came through, went over there, looked around for sun, sea, sand, football, why not? But it was really humbling, really humbling experience because I feel like when you're in your mid-20s as a footballer and you're earning a certain amount of money as well and, and you're in the UK, you can be looked upon it in a certain way and you can get drawn into a certain lifestyle which doesn't allow you to be you as such because you're expected to have the flashy car, the nice house, the good-looking girl, the new trainers. And when I went to Cyprus, it was totally opposite. I walked around Cyprus in my flip-flops and shorts every day with a T-shirt and literally there was nothing to live up to. I didn't need a flashy watch. I didn't need a, a, a massive car. I remember I left my Q7 here and was driving a Nissan Micra, literally just training every day. Like, at first, I was a bit, it felt a bit awkward. I was like, hold on. I'm used to a little bit more space than this. Literally, it was just, it was humbling because it just made you realise that actually these people only want you here because football. That's what you're here for. So come in here, do your job and get the job done. And then we'll see what happens after that. It was probably up there in regards to my highest achievements in the game. When I moved from near Salamina to Ayo Limassol, we won the league in Cyprus. And that would definitely be up there along with my international caps because to win a top division in any country is, it for me is massive. Whether people acknowledge it as our oh, Cypriot league or undermine it, fact is, is that at that point in time, there was a Cypriot club at Paul Nicosia who ended up in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against Real Madrid. But I've had so many people try and undermine it and I say to myself, Nats, you win any league, any country, it's a big deal because as a football league, you, you want to do a few things. You want to make good money out of the game. You want to obviously be remembered for scoring goals or whatever, but you want trophy. You want to be able to come out of the game and say, I, I achieved something in the game. I wasn't just in it for no rip, just to kick around the ball and uh, earn a few pounds. You want to be able to say, I got something out of it, out of it. And 
luckily for me, I was able to win the league in Cyprus. I wanted the cup final trophies. I wanted, I wanted the double, but we lost <laughs> in the final. So. Oh. But no, it was unbelievable. I'm, and the fans over there were incredible. Like, I imagine. Um, passion is just, it's different. There's something and, different in Europe, isn't there? There's just the fans at any European league compared to the UK are just, there's a different calibre. I mean, there's some UK stadiums where they're, they're passionate. Passionate yeah, in a different yeah, way. Yeah. But in regards to Cyprus, the passion, even when you have, you have, you have like derby games against teams, there's, there's flares going off all over the place. There's fights with people who live in the same city. That could be a neighbour. And then as soon as you get out of the stadium, oh, yeah, let's go home, let's go home, let's go get frappe. And it's like, what? You know, we're just fighting against each other. But they, And again, when you're over there, they you stand like a sore thumb because they know why you're here. They know you play football or you play basketball, you do something, you do sport of some, some sort. You're revered, you're massively revered. And I, I, I really enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed the culture, I enjoyed obviously the weather. Weather plays a massive part. People say I go to, I freeze in the winter and I probably do, <laughs> literally, because by over there, it's like hot every day. <laughs> And it's just, uh, and I just, just love it. Go training, go to the beach, go home. Go training, go to the beach, go home. And literally, it was, it was unbelievable. Tough experience. life, mate. <laughs> Tough <laughs> I'm life, telling yeah. you, listen, I'm, re- I'm ready to go over there again. Listen, once, once they let us out of here, I'm ready to go. What, again. Hornchurch, Limassol, or something like that. You start <laughs> the new division. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ma- ma- maybe. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. I mean, I would guess, Chris, being that yeah, sort no, of no. off the pitch then translate to you being happy on the pitch and able to, you know, perform, score goals, play well. That sort of thing. Definitely. I mean, when, again, it's, it's a different, like I said, it's a different, I feel like it's a different kind of pressure over here. Um, you, and as, like I said, sometimes it's put on you because you're, you're meant to, people need to live up to certain things and it's not necessarily, that's not the be all and end all of it. You, you, your, your bread and butter is, is, is your, your job. Football's a job. And at the end of the day, you've just got to go out there and do your job. You don't need to be, and there's so many different distractions, nightclubs, like I said, females, living up to a certain lifestyle. It, it's, it, there are so many distractions, but once you narrow, narrow it into what it is that you're actually meant to be doing, which is actually focusing on playing football and doing your job, just like anyone else would be doing, start enjoying it a little bit more, and it, and it shows on the pitch. It definitely shows on the pitch. And when I was at IEL, I had a world of, world of a time and travelled like I've never travelled before. I, what my dad my dad said to me when I was when I was young is that when you get older, just go and see the world because he's lucky enough to he was lucky enough to see you go and see the world. I don't know how, but he was lucky enough to go and see the world and. Luckily for me, football allowed me to go and see so many different places in the world. Because obviously, by winning the league, we qualified for the Champions League, the Europa League as well. So it was just—it was literally, I was in different a different country every month, and it was in, incredible. I literally—I remember that year in itself. I probably went to fifteen different countries, including holidays. Yeah. But in, 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 a, in a space of a year, it was just incredible. So you said, you know, what your dad told you to travel when you were a kid. You sounded really happy in Cyprus. You sounded like you found your ground, you found a level, you love playing there. But then randomly you moved to Shanghai for a small period of time. So was that the travel thing? You got an offer coming in from China and thought, hang on a second, let me go over there and see. That was nothing to do with travelling. I, I can tell you, I didn't at any point anticipate I would end up in China. However, <laughs> we got knocked out of the Europa League and by January... We had a new manager come in. You'll know this name really well, James. George Costa. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, George Costa. <laughs> so again, I'm thinking, George Costa, I don't know him. I was He was the child before me. Again, the connection's there. George Costa, Charlton, Chris Dixon. Yeah, let's go. 
<laughs> no. For some reason, it just didn't work. I remember, I think it was our last European League game that he came, he came in for and he didn't put me in. He didn't put me in and I was fuming. But word got round that obviously I was fuming. I don't remember doing anything to get his attention or to, for him to want to pull me in front of everybody. But he pulled me in front of everyone. And I can't pretty much knew my days were numbered from that moment. I played a few games after that, but I got a phone call about going to China. In my head, I'm thinking, China? Like, nah, I don't know about all of that. But I said, I, I said I'll try it out because at the end of the day, it wasn't really much of my other offers that are coming in. I didn't know if I could see myself playing for another team in Cyprus because of how well things have gone with IL. So I ended up going on trial in Spain because they were pre-season in Spain. Did well in my trial. They offered me a two-year deal. And probably for the first time, I'd seen numbers in football that I'd never seen before. And I thought, this might work out all right. <laughs> um, I, could after, I could look after a few people here. <laughs> Obviously, I'd, I'd, I'd had a son in, in, in the time I'd been in Cyprus as well. So it was like, it just, it made sense. It was, again, another new experience. And before I knew it, I was on my way to China. We had pre-season in Hong Kong, as well as Spain. And then I had a really good pre-season, but I was getting built up by the Chinese media or, or by my club's media to be the next DDA drummer. And I remember saying to our translator, tell them to stop doing that because I know from experience that you're going to get targeted. And then I remember the first game of the season, March the 8th, I'll never forget, it's my mom's birthday. <laughs> One player just came through me and literally took out my ankle. And other than my knee injury at Charlton, that was the worst injury I'd ever had. My ankle was gone. It was literally in bits, swelled up, had to get on a plane. The rehab was terrible in regards to what they were asking me to do. I ended up having to call Errol back in Charlton. Luckily, Errol still remained a very, very good friend of mine. He walked me through a few things that I needed to be doing. First and foremost, Dicko, if they're not looking after you, cancel your deal and get out of there. They kind of beat me to the punch and said, look, we're going to have to cancel your deal for you because you mean nothing to us at the moment. You can't play. So I ended up getting paid up and literally came back to UK. But again, an amazing experience. I can't, I, I mean, if I tell people this, they, they think you really went there, here, everywhere. And literally it's like, it doesn't, it, I have to write a book about it. 100%. I literally have to, I'd have to write a book about it just so, so people can understand my journey. Come on, let's say it now. Like, you know, you can write a book and I'll, I'll have copy one because I'm a Charlton fan and you can have copy two, yeah? Signed yeah. and everything like that yeah. sorted. Yeah, I mean, listen... If I get if I write the book, I'll let you have the first few copies. Definitely, why not? Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Did you ever get to any of the markets out there? You know the, the famous Shanghai markets, mate. And how, how many times did you get shouted at when you're trying to bust a deal in the market and you're like for a new Canada goose jacket or something like that, and they shout you? What's actually really strange about that is in Shanghai, everything seems to be made in the same place. So there's a lot of real stuff. And there's a lot yeah. of fake stuff, yeah. but it's all made in the same place. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself going into places and bargaining with people because you know that this is, this could be real or could be fake. I don't know. Yeah. But because you're undermining the quality of their products, they then decide that obviously, no, 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 get out of my shop. Like, you're trying to, you're trying to, you're, you're making, you're, you don't think it's real? You don't think it's real? And I'm like, I've got one of those at home and that don't look the same, bro. So like, I think we need to cut a deal here. I mean, you know what? Every time I go to Shanghai, I've worked, I, I, I actually can't wait wait to wake up from my post-flight nap and actually get into the markets because I just get a buzz out of it. There's something really weird. You might not even buy anything, but, you know, kind of like that bargaining. It's a bought in itself, mate. I think you <laughs> footballers and you could go and be a personal shopper in these Shanghai markets. Tell you what, mate, when the mortgage deal comes through, then I might be able to, you know, get a holiday out. <laughs> listen, and just tell them, make sure when you go in there, say, listen, my friend, open that wall because I know there's something behind yeah, that yeah, wall. Yeah, mate, I've been yeah, in so many walls, yeah. I was going to say, Chris Dixon sent me. 
it's, 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 it's an experience. Asia in itself is an amazing part of the world. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, no matter what's going on at the moment out there, and we've got to remember that China is a fascinating place and, you know, yeah. you've experienced it. But um, moving back on, you came back to the UK, didn't you? And went to Dagenham and Redbridge for a little bit. Yeah, probably the one move up. I don't say I regret, but I should have thought long and hard about it. And but my love for wanting to play football was probably the, the main reason as to why I went there. On top of the fact that the manager who was there was my old Dalish manager, um, okay. Wayne Burnett. So it kind of made sense, but at the same time, I wasn't fit. I was still working on getting my ankle back in shape and I put on a lot of bit of weight. So it was a case of I wasn't in the best position to go to that club. And I thought that like, I still could have played at a higher level if I got myself to the level of fitness I needed to. But I was so eager to get back into the game and that I obviously jumped at the Dagenham offer. It didn't work out. Scored a couple goals, but it just wasn't what anyone anticipated. Obviously, they had high expectations of me. Definitely didn't work out, but we moved on. Again, it probably um, brought me back to reality a little bit because going and travelling to Cyprus and China and then, and then suddenly coming back home and it's like, whoa, you're back in League 2. It's like, okay, this isn't what I expected, but you know what? You've got to start again. You've got to work hard. You've got to grind. You've got to keep, you've got to keep pushing. But yeah, that season didn't really work out for me. Worked out for Dagenham. Dagenham had a good season, actually, that season. For me, personally, it wasn't a great season at all. And as they say, go back to where you're loved. So, off to Cyprus, I went again. Uh, he was saying Yamas on that flight to uh, Paphos again, wasn't he? You yeah, know, he I, was, I was like, listen, I, I got on the phone. I said, get me back out there. <laughs> and I'm missing the sun. I'm missing the beach. And yeah, I was back in Cyprus. I actually went back into the second division, okay. which was a surprise for quite a few people. But I wasn't ever scared of going backwards to go forward. And I knew that, obviously, if I was in the second division in Cyprus, I was probably going to tear it tear it up anyway and get the team back into the first division anyway so luckily that, that that's what happened joined my football games got a half full of goals made loads of new friends um, ended up playing Paphos and again another amazing city totally different environment because obviously everyone's a bit older down there and there's a lot more English people there loads of them on holiday over there so it was again no bad experiences in Cyprus if I'm honest like literally everything was an amazing time and, and people just took to me really really well <laughs> Are you PNLP? We've landed back at Gatwick from his trip to um, Cyprus. Well, I have in my head anyway. I'd love to be back on the sunny south coast of Worthing. Chris Dixon, they talk about his time in Cyprus. Chaps, one thing I really was impressing and really sort of took me, Chris went out after sort of a bit of an unsuccessful period, maybe some would say at Charlton, never got his first chance and unlucky with injuries. And he went to Cyprus and he ended up, winning trophies and getting into the Europa League and as he said people he's not bothered too much about the football last night he just as a footballer he wanted to win trophies and he was driving around in a Nissan Micra from a Q7 in the football league walking around in shorts and t-shirt I mean to me that just sounds like what a footballer should be about doesn't it right I mean Chris does that to you sound like someone that should be playing football rather than someone's bothered about all the money yeah because if you love football you play football Whatever, nothing else matters away from, you know, it's not about designer clothes and cars. It's got four wheels and a steering wheel. It's still going to get you to eight from A to B. Um, and uh, I remember once seeing, um, I don't know if you remember, uh, Nigel Callahan used to be for Watford. Okay. Um, I, I once saw him in Cavos in Corfu. He'd gone over there, played a bit of football, but started being the DJ in Corfu. <laughs> And he's just loving life. You know, he's still DJing now. He's back in England, but this was back in the early 90s. And to see an England footballer in T-shirt, flip-flops and shorts and um, DJing in a nightclub was just brilliant. I just thought I thought it was class. The last time I saw him was playing on the wing for Watford at Derby County. And then I was seeing him slobbing about the beaches of Corfu. 
what you almost had to double take there. You're like, what's what's going on here? But you know, that's yeah. the thing. You got to love life. And you know, Chris doesn't lie. He says in part three, you know, he he obviously he got money. Got his head was turned to try and make as much money as you can by going to China and stuff like that and playing temporarily. But it, it eventually realised it wasn't all about money. He just wanted to play football successfully. And um, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you see it all the time. And Ian being like supporting Brighton. You know, you've seen Brighton raise from the ranks from League One all the way up to the Premier League and sort of sustaining themselves in the Premier League now. And you've probably seen from that nice stadium we've got at the Amex now from all the old Wifteen days, um, you've probably seen a different calibre of player go through. I mean, I know for a fact if I was a footballer, you know, you want to make some money, of course. You, you're doing what you love. But if you found your chances few and far between and you had the option to play somewhere else, wouldn't you do that? Would, wouldn't you say that, Ian? Well, going back to going back to the car thing, it's like speaking from someone who's had a fair share of car problems in the last two weeks. Um, I'd take the uh, the Audi. Um, <laughs> 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 but, but in, in all seriousness, no, in all seriousness, like, I, I think that if I was a a footballer, I think we probably all at some point played football at amateur level, and at some point you sat on the the bench and you've been pissed off that you're not playing. Um, I think that kind of answers the question, didn't it? You know, you want to be playing football um, however you go about it. It doesn't really matter, providing you're on the pitch and having a good time, right? Well, a case in point, it's uncanny how this has been timed, but South Shields on Saturday gave a debut to a lad called Jamie Sterry, who had been released from Newcastle. He, he He was classed as one of the next big things at fullback. Made about eleven or twelve appearances for Newcastle. Played in the Premier League. Played in the in the Championship, and then was released. And he hasn't played. He hadn't played competitive football for ten months, and um, d- couldn't get a club. But rather than sitting on his arse and doing nothing, he wanted to play. So he's been training with South Shields for three weeks, and he and he's he's decided to to start playing again. So he he made his debut for South Shields against Halifax in the FA Cup on Saturday, and it was just different class. You could, you know, Premier League and Football League player, um, just who hadn't hadn't played for eleven months. You'd you'd, you'd just have, you'd, have, you'd have thought he'd been part of the Shields setup for at least six months. But the the point is, he just wants to play football, and yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, I mean, you've seen the sad news this week of Jeremy Whiston from Manchester yeah. City, a youth player released, and it's what we touch on in part three of the interview with Chris about you know how non-league can be a way of revitalising yourself and you know regain that steppy career. It's happened at Worthing with Finn Stevens, um, who hopefully uh, Pete and I are going to be speaking to on our Rebel Yell podcast for Worthing FC in the coming weeks or so. Um, the, the best thing about it is, is he he ended up going from. Arsenal being released, Worthing picked him up, and within one season he's playing for Brentford B team, which is now he's he's completely he's had a full circle and debuted for the first team. Pete, you were the biggest fan of Finn Stevens. It just shows how he can do his career. And we touched on with Chris Dixon about how much non-league can help revitalise a player's career. Yeah, I'm not just on about uh, revitalising players' players' careers, but. Uh, as, as Chris said, you know, a, a player who wanted to play um, doesn't, doesn't want to sit on the bench or anything like that. Um, but I, I just have so much respect for non-league players because, you know, some of them have been released by big clubs. So they want to continue playing. Um, and there's others who don't quite make it to the bigger clubs and they, they get found through, through other ways. Um, and they don't, they don't get paid a fortune. 
I know, you know, I know, I know some of them, at, you know, lower levels and the step-free non-league that we are at, uh, further down, you know, some, some do, do it for nothing. Don't, they don't even get a wage. Corinthian Casuals, prime example, in, in, in our division, their players play for free. You know, yeah. it's, a hist- it's a history of the club. And there was another club that I think that somebody mentioned the other week uh, that they play for free as well because they can't afford wages. It was, so um, I've got so- it was Guernsey, wasn't it? That's what it was. Yes, it was Guernsey. Um, so basically, you've got these players who are playing purely for the love of the game and they just want to play football and, you know, and win trophies to, regardless of the level. They want to win trophies at that level. So I've, I've just got so much time and respect for them. I think we all have, to be honest, Pete. And this is what we're hearing in the final phase of uh, Chris Dixon's interview, part three coming up right now, is how his future, what he's, he's enjoyed about non-league and just playing football for the love of football. So over to part three we go now. The Premier Non-League Podcast. And that's where you sort of stayed and built your roots now. Yeah, I mean, I came back more than anything because I obviously had a son. And I think he was missing daddy a bit. And I've had my selfish time as such. And I've been away quite a bit. And as much as they keep flying over us and, and flying back and whatnot, it was probably time to look at investing in myself back home and in my family and getting that time back. So I was able to obviously sign a son and had a few friends there from Nicky Bailey was there. And literally, as soon as I came back, he was one of the first people on the phone to me say, look, if you're looking for a club, come down something. And it's weird because me and Bells had a love-hate relationship with Charlton. Like, <laughs> We love playing with each other and we got along outside of football as well. But on the pitch, some, some, sometimes it was just like, listen, you know, oh my God, in training, there were certain times, yeah, where he, he, he was just like, when I leave a mark on you, he was yeah. not playing games. Yeah. In training, he was, yeah, he was tenacious. And I was more, if I do a little trick past you, I'm going to laugh at you at the same time. And he wasn't <laughs> having none of it. But then obviously, we'll come out of training, so we were so cool, we still, still are to this day. But yeah, so I ended up going to Sutton. But again, Sutton, I, I can't even explain what happened to Sutton. Apart from probably came with the mentality of, I've been there, done it, this should be a walk in the park. It wasn't as, as anywhere near as easy as I thought it would be. And it was very, it was very, very physical. But adapting to the UK style of football at that level, which I've never actually played at. I've always played at Prem or Ryman 1. So I hadn't played in the conference. So it was um, very interesting, very um, challenging, but didn't work out. And luckily, I got a move, I got, I got called up by Chelmsford um, to go there. And literally, I had a point to prove. I'm one of them players that, when I've got a point to prove, when the chips are down it's time, it's, and it's time to step up, I'll definitely answer to the call. And Chelsea was another amazing experience, another amazing time. The gaffer down there, Rod Stringer, was really good with me. My assistant Nick Haycock, he was really good with me, but we got to a couple of playoff, playoff final, one semi, and it was good times. And I actually just felt like, oh, okay, I'm in the league now. If I'm meant to be in the league, then I'm going to be in the league. But if I keep doing what I'm doing, I might get a move back into the league. So I went, I was at Hampton for a season. Gary McCann, whole coaching staff, unbelievable. Fab, Freddie. Mark, unbelievable coaching staff down there. Great FA Cup run. Unbelievable yeah. FA Cup run. It was, was, was great fun. And um, it didn't work out in the league. But I'll, I'll, I've only got good things to say about them down there. Especially Freddie. Me and my sister manager, Freddie, he get on, get on like a house on fire. He's, he's really, he regularly checks in on me as well, to be fair. But yeah, good, good, good people down there. And then Hornchurch. And now Hornchurch. Yeah, Hornchurch. <laughs> and now, yeah, Hornchurch from Mark Stimson. I mean, I know obviously Mark Stimson from, you know, managing at Barney didn't have the best of spells there. But when you look at his yeah. record, one at Grays, what he did at Gillingham, you know, and a long football league career as well he had. Tell me about his training sessions. What are they like? Do you sort of see a football league element to them? Definitely. He actually says himself that he doesn't like to have long training sessions. He likes to literally get to the point 
in this case, team shape done, and then literally strikers go there, midfielders there, defenders there, and then we'll get into the game situations. And it's literally as simple as that. He doesn't like to overcomplicate things. If he, if there's something that he requires for you to do positionally wise, then he'll do it and he'll work on it with you. But it's not for long periods of time because he just he's used to playing with players that it just registers straight away. Like you should know what we're doing with him. I, obviously, I had him at them as well. When when if he left, so. I knew what I was coming into and he's been top drawer with me and obviously me and him again we have little conversations here and there and I'm, obviously he probably still speaks to me like I'm still little Chris Dixon whereas I'm like I'm a grown I'm a grown man now you know like, <laughs> we can talk talk now so, but obviously he just still he still sees me as as Chris and I'm the respect levels are, ma- are massive obviously I've got a massive amount of respect for him Long may I continue on church for well until these legs fall off anyway. <laughs> well, we said at the beginning of the interview how uh, you're now back at Hornchurch hoping with the team to maybe be playing on to get us boys at Worthing to see what yeah. happens at the top of the Eastman League this season. You're nearly 36 at the end of the year. Sorry to remind you. How many years do you think we got, you got left in you? Still thinking <coughs> you'll be going on for a few more years yet? I get asked this every single yeah. year. Always, my answer to that is always if I hit 20 at the end of the season, <laughs> we've got another year. Yeah, yeah. Because goal scorers are very a few and far between and very hard to find at any level. So if I know that I'm confident in my ability to, that I'm going to hit 20 goals, the team should naturally, if everyone else is chipping in, do well in the season. And that's what I just want goal scorers. So, I mean, if I hit 20 at the end of the se- this season, then you'll probably see my name flowing around somewhere next season as well. well. And going on scoring goals as well, Chris, worked it out. An average of a goal every two and a half games across your entire career. Quite happy with that? It's not bad at all. That's well good. I, I, I'll take that with really long. Yeah. I'll take that all day long. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good record, I would say. I would be happy if that made I thought, I thought the blip at something <laughs> might, might hinder the, hinder the percentage there, but that's not bad to be fair. That's so what's the uh, future for Chris Dixon then? What looking at getting into management or are you going to continue for your personal training side of things that you've been doing? Um, so basically with CADPT, um, my personal training company, we actually focus on personal training as well as football training. So there's a little sister company as such called CADFT. So it's actually football training as well as personal training. So um, I'm looking for to, to expand that as much as possible. We're looking to obviously branch out to do retreats and stuff for the personal training side of things in uh, abroad. Luckily, along my football journey, I've, I've been lucky enough to bump into people who want to see me progress as well as my business and are interested and keen in investing. So hopefully, my have a little, if, if we're allowed back out and allowed to fly, We'll have a, might have a little retreat um, overseas for, for the personal training side of things. But for the football training side of things, which I think will probably be bigger, we obviously train kids from seven and up, and it's mainly one-to-one sessions, and teaching them the basic fundamentals of the game, as well as what they're going to possibly pick up in the pro game environment. It could be something as small as a warm-up. A lot of kids don't know. When you, when you sometimes go and warm-up and you tell them parts of the body to warm-up, they just think, run up and down, run up and down, when really and truly, you know, you actually, you, when you do develop those muscles, you're going to need them, because injury is the worst part of the game that you can, uh, uh, you can suffer. So for me, yeah, it'd be focusing mainly on the, obviously the personal training business, and obviously the football side of it and I mean I'll, everyone told me to do my badges and I probably will get around to it probably when I pop over to Cyprus at some point and do them over there because the, the <laughs> waiting list over here is too long um, but I'd love to pass on my knowledge a little bit of my knowledge back on maybe not the management side of things maybe just the, the one-to-one training like finishing training strike, like maybe striker training maybe even personal training itself but I'd love to um, pass on the, my, my knowledge and my experience of obviously what I've been through to somebody and to many other players and obviously mentoring as well. I was actually speaking to Marvin Sordell today 
throw like what's up seeing happen with this, this young man young man city player who dude oh, took his yeah, life yeah that's more. awful yeah. 17 year old yeah right yeah so uh, that struck a, that really struck a chord with me today um and i feel like there's a lot of players in the game who are young players in the game who don't opt, that don't have once you're released from a club especially you don't know where to turn to and their parents don't necessarily know where to turn to and us as old pros we know some players who've gone through that and experienced that and, and obviously we, we know how we could possibly help you in that, in that situation and i think there's a massive gaping hole in in in, in, the, in the in the game in the industry to where that can be filled by players because a lot of players leave the game and they don't know what they want to do afterwards luckily for me my natural transition was personal training and that's and, and will be personal training because i'd naturally like to stay fit but other players just want to maybe want to just give up the game. Other players go to go to the office work. But I feel like mentoring is is almost an easier easier way to transition because you are you've been through it and you're, all you're doing is telling your story and how you can help them with your story with your own personal story. So I mean that's an aspect I think that I'd love to touch on as well. Um, and obviously I'm currently talking to like Marvin Sordell and Marvin Morgan about those about those those two things. Excellent. I think as well, we look at, you know, obviously this podcast, we've spoken about your career, but it's uh, fundamentally about non-league. And I think we do see, especially down here with Worthing, you get a lot of uh, players that have been released by Brighton coming into the Worthing ranks. Yeah. And I think this is where non-league can maybe come and build. And I think non-league, as you've seen over the years, I'm sure, but the popularity is growing. And especially right now with letting fans in, because we touched on air about letting fans in, and we're the only step, step three where you play. You know, that's a level that you could possibly look at. And this is where maybe non-league needs to focus and right this kid's been released from Man City so many non-league clubs around there he could have maybe been thinking and as you've done plenty of times over your career rebuild yeah. sort of the comebacks yeah. greater than the setback of course definitely I feel like as ex-pros or even non-league players who, or pros that have gone into non-league you can you, there's definitely a, a market there for you to go and help these younger players and, 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 re, and re, rebuild them as such because it's such a detrimental factor to the mental mindset of players when you get knocked at 16, 17 you're still a teenager you're still yeah. a kid as such and to get told no you're rejected at that age it can have an effect where as we've seen obviously somebody's taking their life uh, yeah. uh, someone who could, who could have maybe rebuilt his career and, ha- and had a long, a long and successful career isn't here no more and it, all it's all it may have taken is somebody to have a word of him that's been in the game and given him a little bit of encouragement, motivation, or and, and, and steered him in a direction where he could actually get another opportunity because Man City isn't nice. the only team in the world. I say to people all the time, there's, there's football, me leaving UK showed me that there's football everywhere. You don't have to make it in the UK. Yes, the Premier League is the golden chalice and we'd all love to play there, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to make it in England. You can make it anywhere as long as you've got that hunger and the ability to do so. Yeah, and a little bit of luck. <laughs> Listen, you can you can definitely make you can definitely make it anywhere. And I feel like again, like you said, with the the non-league circuit is definitely somewhere where you can rebuild and restart and get yourself into the game. No, Chris, I mean I really think, you know, I really hope this sort of mentoring thing you're looking at doing like takes off I'll be really excited to see just one last thing before we wrap up let fans in we've been focusing it on our podcast at the moment what are your views on you know uh, we won't get all political because I'm sure we've all got different views and everything like that we'll probably be here for another four hours if we start again but um you know do you think it's all daft I mean at least step one you know being elite you know of the non-league do you think they should be having fans in or all leagues I mean I feel like it's having it's having a massive effect on the Premier League games in regards to maybe I, I, I mean obviously the financial aspects goes without saying 
But in regards to the fans not being there, I think, yeah, you can see how many goals are going into games. I think the intensity of games isn't where it would be if they're working. Because there, there's there's times in games where you need a little kick on the backside and, and a little rollicking from a yeah. fan or a little bit of motivation, encouragement from a fan gets you that. And, and of course, as much as anything, we, we all love playing football. We all love the game. We all love scoring goals, defending goals, winning games, winning trophies, whatever the case. But for us, it's the fact that we're actually getting the opportunity to perform and do something we love in front of thousands of people. That's the, that's the buzz for me. I, my buzz is that I, I'm, I'm an entertainer. I want to put on a show for people. I want people to go home with a good feeling, thinking, I watched Chris Dixon today. I watched my football team today. We won and we had a great feeling. And, and, the, and the flip side of that is I got to perform in front of all these people and they saw me do what I love, do the best. And that was, and, and for, uh, it's missed, it's massively missed. And I, I feel like if we can get fans into our games at our, at our level, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to get political on this whole virus, but I just feel like it's got to a stage where we should be, we should be looking into obviously getting out, getting fans back in, getting fans back into the games because we need, they're needed, they're needed. What, what is football, honestly, what is football without fans? Now, football's now it's going there. to a cinema next to uh, Man City Stadium, watching a cinema, uh, not being able to watch outside, matey. So, you know, that's uh, that's the joke that it is. It's been an absolute pleasure and, you know, thank no you so much for giving your time up. I know it's precious, precious time right now and, you know, I hope you've enjoyed it. We've really, it's been fascinating to chat to you. So thank you very much, No mate. problem. Please take care of yourselves and much love and and obviously I might see, I might see you at the end of the season. We, I yeah. mean, I mean, if we end, I will definitely see you at the end of the season. So we'll see. Mate, we'll see we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a drink in the bar if you if you drink. Well, I mean, it might be champagne. I'll be buying if we're going <laughs> If Horn Church is one, you can buy in, all right? Are you PNLP? Part three of a, a, I mean, me and Trevor both said off air that interviewing Chris was just such a pleasure. So Chris Dixon, thank you so much for coming on the Premier Non-League podcast. It was a fantastic interview, fascinating insight into a long career and one that may continue. And it's great to hear you've got this other side business with a mentor in trying to, you know, help prevent cases like the sad tragic story of the Manchester City youth player that was uh, sadly killed himself this week after being released by Man City um, and hopefully you might see more of these players in non-league sort of revitalise themselves in their careers. So that's come to pretty much the end of the Premier Non-League podcast for this episode, episode four. We are going to wrap it up now but Chris I know we mentioned uh, before you joined us about uh, South Shields, FC United Manchester and Scarborough right into the FA about funding at step three. I know you wanted to just touch on that before we ended this week. Yeah, two things. One is the fact that neither not not one of the clubs has had, as far as I'm aware, any response from the FA or the government, um, which is very poor. They made it clear on social media platforms last week that they hadn't received any response. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And 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 thirdly, you know, um, sorry, secondly, sorry. Um, South Shields go into a game tomorrow night, Tuesday night, um, against FC United of Manchester, which is the third of the th- what I call three real blue ribboned games, where we've played local rivals Morworth Town, we've played FC Halifax Town in the FA Cup, and now FC United of Manchester. Those three games together would probably have, well, would definitely have seen between eight and nine thousand people coming through the turnstiles at, to to Mariners Park. Instead, we'll have had 900. And that is the, that is the drop in um, attendances that clubs like South Shields, Scarborough and 
um, FC United are having to deal with. Neil Reynolds was on the TV tonight um, um, on, on the FA Cup draw live. And he was ready to say something on the telly, but um, Mark Chapman was very clever in what he asked him. Because Neil Reynolds, you know, as an FC United manager, he ain't happy. Um, we, our average, our average gate has dropped by thirteen hundred this season. Average, phenomenal, and no support. And that's that's you know, FC United have lost um, twelve hundred. Scarborough have lost nine hundred. Average. It's not. You can't can't survive on that. Can't. Human so, Human me here. So at the moment, let's say that the police have a rave. Let's say, let's say not the police, because that would be... Police have a rave. Either the band or the Met having a rave, that'd be funny. Human me here, if it's a, like a legal rave in, in a field or wherever, and let's say there's 1,500 people in attendance, and you include the, pro, the, the protests and stuff that happen in London as well, they don't disperse those rights because they or, or raves or whatever because they deem it, um, you know, breach of public safety. So they let it peter mm. out in its own, uh, mm. you know, of its own accord. What is to say that you know, a team like South Shields couldn't just open the gates, mm. prove that they can police and marshal it safety safely, get say fifteen hundred people in, however, yeah, however many want to, in theory, come, providing mm. you could do it safely. You know, take the fine and take the profit. Good, good point, Ian. Um, it would depend on how many you would allow in. Um, I guess a fifteen hundred crowd, the club would take probably about fifteen thousand pounds on revenue. So you'd take probably a ten thousand pound fine. But the problem will will be from there is safety certificates, licenses. Would the local authority take the license, you know, block the club's alcohol licenses, that sort of thing, um, which they've done before, by the way. Um, South Tyneside Council um, changed South Shields liquor license after an incident in a pre-season game against Gateshead when a Gateshead supporter caused trouble. So it um, there's previous. It's a great point, and Alpha One would would love to see it, just to see, you know. I firmly believe Shields could get 900 people into the ground very safely with it and, and maintain social distance and do things safely. Um, but it, it would be interesting. It would be great to see, wouldn't it? It would be great to see 2000, you know, what would happen if any club... It's a bit punk, club, club, Yeah, it's brilliant. Allow two, get 2,000 in and just see what would happen. Just see what would happen. Um, it's a great point. Watching the highlights of South Shields, I noticed with the crowd, the social distancing was exceptional. Mm. And a lot and a lot of the fans around the pitch are wearing masks, etc. Yeah. Um, watching the Bishop Storford game tonight in the FA Cup on BT Sport, um, the social distancing didn't look that good. So I would say yeah. that South Shields are doing it absolutely spot on and, and the way it should be done. And for you not to have more fans than you're allowed um, is a disgrace, to be honest. Well, first of all, um, if you don't have a mask with you um, at the turnstile, unless you're exempt, you don't get in. You must enter the ground with a mask on unless you're exempt. 
And obviously you take it off at the appropriate times. But you can't sing without a mask on. Um, and uh, I mean, if you, if you came to the ground, you'd see the club have marked out all the bays. All the bays are marked out. There are spots about the size of a penalty spot on all the terraces where people can stand uh, on the terraces. Um, everything's been done with a view to getting 30% in the ground, which was... Um, 1100 people and um, that was all done there was a there was a risk assessment done in the summer so it can it, it's all ready to go but um, someone mentioned to me tonight at, at the club um, about the Bishop Stortford about the fact that um, social distancing wasn't great mask wearing wasn't great but I guess that is what's being seen on national TV and local authority officials are saying that and think, well, that's what that's what it will be like at South Shield, so we better not do anything. If they actually took the trouble to come and see what actually goes on, they might think again. But as as what if you look if you remember hashtag United, that was a farce. Mm-hmm. Um, so if officials are just watching that, thinking, well, oh, football supporters can't behave. It's never going to work. Yeah, it's not it's not the, it's not the same all across the boards, is it? It's not at all, not at all. Every, every, every game, I was, a, I was away at, at Bamba Bridge a few weeks ago. Everything was exemplary there. Uh, it's just it's just unfair. I think it's just one of those things, we're just going to have to get on with it. Get on with it and somewhere down the line, restrictions will be lifted somewhere down the line. We'll just have to keep going until, um, until then. When that will be, we don't know, but something has to give. It can't go on forever. While it is in it's, it's exactly what the UK is like. Each country's different. Scotland's got five tiers. Wales is not allowing you to buy anything in a supermarket that isn't food or necessities. <laughs> it's, it needs all. I I believe it should be all you know, uh, all one rule. But hey, this isn't a political podcast. It isn't a rant. It is the Premier Non-League podcast. It has been a long one tonight. Um, if you're still listening right now you've made it to the end and I can say well done and it's a fantastic but I hope you've actually enjoyed it because this week's been really fun to record uh, we have had a lot to talk about thank you very much to Ollie Bayliss um, from BBC Three Counties Radio and Chris Dixon Hornchurch player I look forward to having a beer with him celebrating that Worthing are the champions with a bottle of champagne that he said he would buy us if we were or I'd have to buy him a bottle of Hornchurch were on the last game of the season but that will be a thing we'll talk about hopefully sometime next year hopefully we're not talking this time next year that it still hasn't been finished but um what we're going to do to leave you with is um pete uh, was left on his own to his own devices this week to record the interview with holly bayless and there's a little blooper that i'm going to play at the end here just to end the podcast but pete just forgetting one of the th- key things you need to do when being a broadcaster is actually to record the damn thing but for myself james peter vale chris and ian budgen thank you guys for joining us tonight and obviously johnny and trevor And we look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Have a good one, guys. Stay safe. Of course. Ollie, Ollie, guess what I've done? (laughs) You didn't hit record, did you? I've just seen you hit record. Let's go again, (laughs) shall we? Better at this point than than, than when we finish. What a numpty. What a numpty. Are you PNLP?